0: tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. SlatteriesGarage.ie. Slattery's Garage.ie
1: Good morning welcome to Friday's Tip Today. Coming up on this morning's show, Johnny Luby's standing by to give us his rundown of the week. We'll also have more Deb's memories from Tip Today listeners. Dry January, we'll be talking about that. How many are taking part and is it a good thing? Pacific civic reception in Llanmel to bid farewell to the Franciscan Order after 753 years. Women's Little Christmas, today's the day, but is it still relevant in this day and age? We'll be finding out. Prince Harry making the news uh, globally overnight after making a series of sensational claims in a new memoir. And also in a series of interviews he's been doing over recent days. We'll be getting UK reaction on that. And of course it is Friday, so our Friday panel... We'll unpack the hot topics of the week. Our phone lines, as ever, are open until 12 today. You can text her WhatsApp 083 311 double three double one. or Emma is standing by on the phones on 1800 007. But for the first time in 2023, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Johnny Luby. Hi, Johnny.
2: Alison, thank you. How are you keeping?
1: Not too bad. Happy New Year to you.
2: Many happy returns because I was in Golden this morning there and the shopping Golden with Anthony Case and he says, Could you tell me, he says confidentially, where is friend gone on holidays? I said, Anacarty. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
1: but it's his holiday think, home in Anacarty.
2: Yeah, I think he's only <laughs> up the road. But uh, one yeah. of one, like myself, one would never know where he's gone actually. But d- it's anyway. a
1: surprise every morning to us, Johnny, as well. <laughs>
2: that's it? right, yeah.
1: It's a pleasure. Yeah. Did Santi yeah, come, Johnny?
2: Yeah, Christmas, okay, Christmas, I, I suppose we're into the old, the old things that it belongs to the children and that, they enjoy the crack and we go with the flow and everything else, yeah, we went up to Clenolty, up to Siobhan uh, and Michael there in Clenolty, so, uh, yeah, put down the day to find us uh, it's a long old day, you know, because I think television is going to be a heap of crap, you know. It was tough, awful
1: this year,
3: wasn't it? Desperate
2: absolutely desperate you know I was looking forward to uh, Stephens' day because uh, I was meeting a few lads there on Tuesday and Wednesday at uh, races in Limerick and of course many temporary people Limerick is the place to go to and uh, they had a wonderful crowd there on uh, Monday and uh, Tuesday and Wednesday and actually even the four days you know and whereas else town probably get uh, more quality horses but nevertheless the racing in uh, Limerick is superb and yeah. I suppose on the horse racing front Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott dominated I mean Willie Mullins and one day alone had six winners out of the seven and uh, that but uh, Dennis Hogan did superb there from North to Bray he wouldn't have a huge uh, string of horses but Amanda's well able to place them and uh, he had a a couple of grand uh, winners over that over the uh, four days in Limerick and and, uh, that of course Sam Carling in Dundrum uh, trained the horse for uh, Dan Quirk Dan would have been the the Dad of Dylan cropped a lot, Mercy Young Dylan, the young Tipperary player uh Dan was involved with him in the butchering old in the horse uh, called uh Bonnie Kelly and she duly obliged for those great celebrations down there uh, in Limerick on the first or the second day and uh, Canolte GA Club have, had a huge crowd there on the Tuesday and Moneygall were well represented on and they did over 100 people as well they're inclined to do it now for fundraisers you know towards the end of the year for clubs and that. where the racetracks will always take them in yeah. and uh, give them a special uh, concessions and things like that so it's certainly well worth it once, once players were and uh, supporters would know that those two buses going into Limerick that it cost maybe, give or take, say, €40 euro for dinner and uh, travelling and all that, thing, and you're safe to get home then as well. So yeah. it's, it's a great fundraiser, you know.
1: That's great. And we've G A back um, as well this week. I oh, know it wasn't a great result for TIP, but still, I mean, it's only a bit of a run-out, isn't it, to see what...
2: That's working. right, yeah, you see. Yeah, they're all in the middle of uh, uh, real heavy training, you know, and that... Uh, I suppose uh, look against Waterford was just, just uh, Davy said himself he was just looking to see the characters on a yeah. in players on a wet windy desperate night below and Mallow and I presume Liam Care would be the same way as well you know uh, have to give him uh, game time and that and the, the team he will have out on uh, Sunday above in Nina against Clare uh, that's going to be a different ball game mm-hmm. again like you know you could actually play well in it and you still might, you still might only make the outskirts of the panel because of lot of league matches then coming up in February and March and then your championship stopped nothing at probably at the end of April you know so uh, it's going to be tough going for all concerned and Tipperary look we'll find it going tough to uh, beat any of the Munster teams there but likewise the monster teams the rest of them will find it hard enough to put away with Tipperary as well uh, when they're in the middle of their uh, hurling campaign you know
1: yeah and we're only building too I mean it's going to take maybe a year or two to really see the results of it but you know looking back at the year and and we had a huge change this year when it comes to All Ireland national competitions and club and and the new system of how that's going to work. Looking back on it now, do you think that's worked well?
2: Well, the experts that are involved says it is working well that you have the first six months of the year belongs to, as such, the county senior holders and uh, and, uh, all of those and the senior footballers as well, whereas uh, the club scene probably won't won't kick in until uh, July as such but they will be playing league and league games uh, and that getting ready for all those games uh, and that look at, they say it's working superb you know I suppose when you look at uh, belly gunner, I think they're yeah. in the Ireland club final or whatever and that like a uh, d- tremendous credit is due to any of the clubs that do progress. I suppose for ourselves in Tipperary, Ross Grey, uh, we were hoping that if they had got over Monaline, Ross Grey would certainly be there or thereabouts, you know, but it's the, it's the first time that it was done in Tipperary, so uh, hopefully that Premier Intermediate and hopefully the County Board will come up with a, a solution to the uh, the Golden Kilpikers, the Skinner Rinkies and the Knockavilla uh, Kickhams and the hands of this world who play Intermediate and don't go any further. Yeah. Right, if they win the intermediate, they go up, but they don't go out like the rest of the teams, even teams below them, Junior A and Junior B, they all go out, but just for some reason or another, maybe they have to change the name on it, but will clubs uh, like that name to be changed, you know, but anyway, that's for another day.
1: Yeah, but it's great to see the focus on the clubs (laughs) for for a change, I suppose. And when it comes to schools, Hurling, then another hearty cup?
2: That's That's right, uh, uh, Alison, yeah, it's it's 50 years ago this year, uh, Next March coming uh, since you truly had the pleasure and the privilege of uh, leading Cashel's uh, Christian Brothers School out in a hearty cup final in Charleville on March the 11th in 73. Uh, on, it was, look, it was fantastic. Of all the schools holding that is there, like we all played Rice Cup and Crow Cup and Fitzgerald Cup and... Uh, the under-16 uh, uh, Munster Colleges uh, hurling but there's nothing like the Hearty Cup it seems to be a different ball game altogether and on Wednesday next please God the Hearty Cup campaign commences again and in Tipperary, it's fantastic that we have the likes of Templemore CBS Tulles CBS and of course Cashel C uh, Community School uh, involved in the quarter finals mm. and I suppose Nina were the hard team they seem to have got, went out on scoring difference but it's fantastic for uh, Tipperary County to have uh, three schools and maybe a panel of 27 to 30 players on each school and they're all getting talks of hurling, especially over the Christmas period, I believe, Cashel they were training away like hell, the same as uh, Tullis and, uh, and uh, Templemore. And for the likes of ourselves in gold, uh, in gold in a small parish, but for ourselves, like we'll say, would have would have the likes of Ben Corbin and young uh Anna Ormond and, and the Kieran Burns and Keane Ryan. Like they were on the team just before the hearty cup quarter final so presumably they'll be there or thereabouts on the panel again mm-hmm. and then you have the three young daughters beyond and Alvin and Jason Murray and uh, Colin and Adam Tui. like uh, it's brilliant for ourselves in Golden to think that them youngsters are uh, all getting uh, games uh, and, that, and I have a funny feeling that Golden seem to be uh, bubbling uh, over just to come up to the top on the bile uh, because they have uh, wonderful hurlers coming through when you see maybe 7 or 8 or 10 of them involved in uh, hearty Cup on panels and all of that So, and getting great training from uh, the coaches in Cashel Community School likewise in Tullus and uh, Templemore you know yeah. uh, it's brilliant and just to send best wishes to the Lee Hayes uh, who's actually the the goalkeeper but he's out injured at the moment and wishing him the very best of luck you know and Absolutely. of course Alison I better not forget uh, this big tractor run on Sunday in Rose Green OK. Yeah, it's down there by the raceway. Uh, the Bergen's and the Maloneys, the Rhines, the Minogs, Cashel, they've all benefited benefit, uh, from the uh, the facilities at the Children's Hospital in in uh, Dublin. <laughs> uh, so the fundraiser is going on for that. And they're gathering at 10.30 at Tipperary Raceway. Whether it's lorries, bikes, tractors, prams, you name it, uh, walking it, or call it what you like, they're all going to finish in Rose Green at the raffle, monster auction, uh, and all of that with wonderful spot prizes. Uh, so, Rose Green is the place to be on Sunday, uh, definitely around maybe one or two o'clock, and uh, all the youngsters will gaze at it with amazement at the sight of the tractors and trailers and everything else. So, it's a wonderful uh, thing that they do to raise funds and fair play to the, the families in involved in
1: all
2: of that. Yeah, absolutely, and but I hope to get the weather for it. That's it, yeah, Alison, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. God, I do, will and
1: rugby then as well, we're back to it this week. The big news in rugby, I suppose, this week was that Ben Healy is is going from Munster over to Edinburgh. What did you make of that?
2: Yeah, the amazing thing about it, Alison, is I have so much time for Ben Healy. He came from a junior club, Nina, originally, and had great time for them. Indeed, we saw him playing on the hill, um, team times against Kilfeechall. <coughs> Okay. A lovely young fellow and uh, God bless him, and uh, a lovely young fellow and uh, actually he came in last uh, day or maybe a couple of months ago when South Africa came blowing in Parky Keeve and Cork and he... Had a brilliant game. Yeah. But we haven't seen him then for one reason or another. And he was right to take the bull by the horns. He came in last weekend and he scored, was it a seven and three, ten pints in the space of maybe seven or eight minutes. Yeah. And I don't know what more he has to do because he's certainly, in my book, every bit as good, if not better than uh, Paul Calbury, mm-hmm. And uh, also... Uh, uh, he doesn't seem to be getting a run so he's right to take the bull by the horns. and uh, look in, he can actually through the grandparents go playing with Scotland and the irony would be that Ireland could end up playing Scotland which they probably will yeah. in the World Cup next October and, and, and whenever it is on and uh, Ben Healy could be the I think he's a superb player he's a great kicker the ball, a good head and all of that and I'm disgusted to see the, the, the happening but definitely if he feels more comfortable himself to leave well then he's dead bloody right
1: I know and sure look a career in rugby can often be very short so you have to take your chances where you can but it's sad to see after Donika Ryan going now you're seeing Ben Healy go as well it's a shame
2: right well that's another one should Donika Ryan ever have left the time he did yeah. go I don't think he should have had you know but uh, look it's all swings and roundabouts and, and the career is short you know, there's no question about it. They have to look after themselves for the 19 years. And after that, then... Of course, there's talks about young Flannery there from uh, between Bench and Golden. Yeah. Uh, Benchman but play... Uh, Started off with Gil Peakele on the hill. He's gone to Ulster, but now they're talking about bringing him back and he would be an out half as well. Mm. So uh, I suppose Ben Healy was looking at all of this, but I would say to young Flannery listen, how tough up north with Ulster for the time being. He's on a year's uh, uh, what would we say, uh, trial run up there, but they're paying the salaries and wages and everything else.
1: That's it, you have but to that that, after that. yourself.
2: No, you have to. The county board draws on tonight in Portrow. I doubt if I'll make it, but ah, wouldn't John. it be marvellous to come out? Uh, uh, wouldn't it be marvellous to come out for the new year, please, God?
1: Wouldn't it? It'd be a nice start you know, to the year. I know there's something uh, Greek in you this week as well, and that's the the Gael family policy. Tell me about why uh, that's annoying you
2: so much. Oh, uh, Jeff, i stop the like, lights. I think it's an absolute scandal to think that uh, things are being rolled out, you know, like that of all know one family saving 400 euro uh, it's amazing the way the government can use these spin doctors uh, to flog out this kind of uh, useless information because we're hearing about it all for the last two months so we know exactly what's happening uh, they announced a 25% cut in childcare costs which kicked in a number of days ago and two fine Gael TDs and a senator oh. who spoke to local media recently all referenced a case study of a parent who would be saving for I know, the court man says I know of one parent who is set to save 400. The Mayo TD, Alan Dillon, he said, I know of one parent who is set to save 400. And then Senator Gareth Aherton told Tip Live, I know of one parent who is set to save 400.
1: So they all get I mean, the same line or else they, uh, no they all
2: know the same family. It's like, like a long bloody playing record. Yeah. And if you hear a long playing record, what do you automatically do? Switch it off.
3: Yeah.
2: And I'd be of the same thing just as uh, switch it off. Uh, and that. But look... It's about spin doctors in the governments. I mean, and they're all shouting at you that uh, that, uh, that it's quite a good government. I would say, like, the, the health thing is in crisis. There's no other words for it, only to the overcrowding and crisis and everything else. The housing thing is in crisis. You see one thing that the Minister for Housing says and then the day after he's stating something else. Yeah. Look, the asylum seekers below is at 400 um, down in, in uh, Killarney. Mm. So I mean the whole thing is... like When I, when Matthew McGrath said that they should have a serious look at it maybe last uh, August, September long to see what can we cater and cove for here in Ireland, uh, he was down immediately. But Matthew was dead right in my opinion. Everybody entitled to their opinion. Like, well, he we'll was certainly in... the
1: first to say it and a lot yeah. of people have come out since and agreed with him. But when, he, right, when yeah. he was the first to say it, he was completely slaughtered for
2: He was, yeah. Well, I actually uh, came on the right at the same time and said the very same thing as Matthew mm. McGrath. Uh, they should have a serious look when those 30,000 me and see well, what can we do. Like... They said that they, were, they weren't using tents anymore That was uh, uh, that's going back to the ages of the 1700s and to the Indians in America using tents and all of that thing. They were going away with all of them. And lo and behold, they're stopping off the tents again. Yeah. You can't treat humans like that. They'll have to put a, a, a control on it uh, to see where can they... Uh, get people for housing for hotels and the whole lot. I just wonder about the tourist season we'll have them coming on now telling us to go to Kerry on a holidays go to Tramore on a holidays go to Wexford, go to every place here on holidays and at the same time you won't be able to get any booking mm. you know the whole, thing, the whole thing the whole thing they're better off if they say go to Annex Hartley uh, <laughs> where friend Corrie is lying out <laughs> holiday home. I'll go to a place called Skerin Don't ask me how to spell this. I'll come <laughs> to the four road. I'm going to abscond out of the country anyway.
1: Johnny another you know, thing annoying you this week. We discussed it with Katrina yesterday from the Farmers Journal about this new kind of satellite system that farms. Oh, the four
2: satellites. Be... Yeah, the four satellites flying around every farm in Ireland. Is it?
1: That's right, yeah. It'll be monitored every few days and I think the, the <laughs> argument behind it is that it's just to make sure the kind of boundaries are correct for your, for your acres payment or whatever oh, it is.
2: Oh, that's Can you picture the scene now, say uh, a farmer getting the call of nature <laughs> and he was in the middle of a 30-acre cornfield and he wondered, can he drop the pence, And he has to look and see if the satellite gone by or is it coming? I think oh, I, <laughs> I. don't think it'll
3: affect his payment, though.
2: <laughs> just, I look, I there's some, but all these satellites that are flying around and the whole lot. And God for me if the Bank of Ireland was robbed of, of aib bank, whatever else was robbed, there's no sign of a bloody satellite to find anyone.
1: Yeah, and here they have
2: a satellite going round. Then hello.
1: Yeah, following cows and following farmers through fields. Are you gone, Johnny? Ah, oh, he's gone. The line has dropped. Ah well. All right, look our texts uh, keep those texts coming into us. 311 one or eighteen hundred nine three eight double oh seven. You know, we were coming to the end of it anyway, so I think we're okay. Uh but thanks Johnny and we wish you all the best for twenty twenty three and we look forward to more of your ramblings every Friday morning.
4: Tip today with Fran Curry, With Slattery's
0: Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111
1: or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. A mention to a charity fundraiser by Birdhill Wren Group for Milford Care and Hospice, who once again virtually hunted the ran again this year. Each of the 12 days of Christmas that they presented a different act featuring live contributions from artists like Dennis Carey, PJ Murrayhee, Dennis Ryan of Ryan's Fancy, Sean Boland, even former tip hurling captain Brendan Marr. Today features All-Ireland score champion Noel Joyce reciting the hilarious woes of Mooncoin. The Facebook page can be found by searching for Birdhill Ren Group and there's a GoFundMe link uh, there to make a contribution towards the Milford Care cause. The group has raised hundreds of thousands over the past 40 years for Milford Hospice and they're hoping to get good support again this year. Thanks for that Tim. Also got a text in from B poor old B um Fina Full need to explain to me where are we going to go with a highly dependent special needs son? We got a notice of termination on our home on January 2nd where we've lived for the past 12 years. Well, we'd love to talk to you, being and all the best with it. Um, and we'll do what we can to help you on it. Keep those texts and calls coming in 0833113311 or 1800 Now, if you were listening yesterday, you know we spoke to Tammy about her favourite memories of her Debs back in the day. And it follows on from... Uh, an exhibition that's going to be held at Nina Arts Centre in the coming weeks about the culture and the history of the Irish Debs. Barry was in touch with us uh, about his Debs. Hi, Barry.
5: Hi, Alison. How are you?
1: Good Good to talk to you this morning, Barry. Tell me, can I can I be bold and ask you when did you have your Debs?
5: Uh, well, in the mists of time back <laughs> in history. It was 1993.
1: Oh my God.
5: Can you remember 1993? Just about. Jesus, yeah. Well, my Debs... Uh, I think I might have had a different experience to most people because my Debs, very much like the rest of my high school experience, was a rolling catastrophe of social dysfunction. <laughs> That's yeah, the, the way, way some it's meant kids to be. Are, well, yes, which?
1: That's the way it's meant to be, isn't
5: it? Well, I don't know. Man. Everybody else seemed to be kind of knowing what they were doing. But you know the way some kids are clever and the teachers like them and other kids are, uh, don't? And, and some kids are like cool or whatever and the yeah. other kids like them but the teachers don't. I was in that kind of narrow window that everybody hates. <laughs>
1: I'm and sure I, that's uh, not true. I'm sure that was oh, just is, your yeah. teenage insecurity. Kind of
5: when you're a teenager, you care about these things.
1: Yeah.
5: Yeah, but we were the first class. As far as I know, we were the first class in high school history. I went to the high school in, um, you know, the CBS in Clonmel. Yes. I, uh, we were the first class in high school history that was uh, cut off by the school management. They wanted nothing to do with our debts.
1: <gasps> really?
5: Yeah. Apparently, they thought we were more or less feral.
1: Well, maybe they trusted you enough to organise it yourselves. Maybe you took a different perspective.
5: Or... Uh, we could just take them at their word and uh-huh. that they thought we were more or less feral.
1: Well, did you prove them right? What, how did the Debs go?
5: I'll tell you how the Debs went. Completely normally. Oh, there you go. Yeah, but it was nothing to do with them. And the, some some few kids, I was very, as I said, socially not cool, but some of the cool kids arranged tickets and so on and the soldier went off fine. Hmm. Oh, I where, went to where, where, a girl called, uh, I, I asked, uh, th- th- think about me now asking a girl anything at all, asking her the time would have been a nightmare, uh, but I asked a girl to go to the depths of me, she's called Aoife, because whatever it is, whatever it is women are looking for, I am the opposite of that. Huh? So I can only say she took a major social hit in agreeing to be seen in public with me. And as far as I know, she's still in town, Aoife, if you're there, thanks very much and I apologise for everything that happened on How those did nights. you
1: ask her? Talk me through it.
5: I can't remember the details. Uh, because my brain has done me a great favour and blanked out lots of it.
1: It was so traumatic.
5: It was, yeah. Uh, and, and, and my dad, uh, my father, who apparently sensed the mood on the ground. The other way you have a, a Debs and then there's a gap and then there's another Debs where you have to go to hers. Yes. It was like that. And my father, apparently sensing the mood on the ground, as I said, decided we had to get the hell out of Dodge for that week. So we went to Spain for that whole time in between the two Debs near near Malaga.
1: Was that a good idea or was it very stressful knowing you were just coming off of the Debs and going back into another Debs, no?
5: It, w- it would have been all right because, like... It's not a bad idea to get the hell out of Dodge when the heat comes down, you know, like in American movies where you just go down to Mexico for a few years, you know, it's kind of like that. We just went south. Uh, We had plans. We had grand plans to explore Moorish Spain and Sergio Leone film sets. But on the first night, my mother banged her knee against the table and she couldn't walk for a week. And my dad was my dad was already on crutches. So that whole thing was finished. And then it was down to me. And guess what I did? What? I drank the water.
1: Is that a bad thing?
5: Well, I don't know if you're aware of the Billy Connolly routine, but yes, it is a bad thing to drink the water in Spain, but I had not seen that comedy routine before I went to Spain, and I drank the water and I had fairly debilitating dysentery for the rest of the, the rest of the holiday.
1: Was it gone by the time the second debs rolled around?
5: Oh, yeah, that was fine. Okay. But in Spain it was pretty bad. Like I had to I, I was like I said both my parents were laid up and we were three floors up, so I was the one with dysentery and I had to go and get oh, the food. No. Yeah, and there was and I, I came up the lift once and the lift just stopped. And there was no little emergency button, so I had to John McLean my way out of the oh. bloody lift. I had to crack open the doors and climb up the shaft and did you open really up do the, that? I yes. don't believe
1: that can be done really. It
5: can, well I tell you, it can in this Spanish apartment block it can. Wow. Or would you not be it afraid was,
1: it would go again?
5: I'll be honest, you see, I my I was my head was gone. I hadn't eaten in three days. And my head was gone from the dysentery and I wasn't thinking straight. Obviously, if I was thinking straight, I would have done something else. But all, I, I, I wasn't even sure it was real. So I, I, I had to crack out and, I went, and, and, and by the time we, we, we went back on the aeroplane again, I was OK. And I, I lost a lot of weight that week, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we went to Aoife's. Hi oh, Aoife, how are you doing? She, I think she's still in town. and She's a lovely person, a wonderful person. And uh, we came back and we went to her deb's and that was my experience.
1: What did you wear, Barry?
5: I wore a black uh, tuxedo while well, I'm a man. What do you mean, what did I wear? I know. At that
1: 1993, 1993 everyone wore a black tuxedo.
5: Yeah. Uh, but I had a, do you know the little cummerbund thing? Yes. She, Eva, got a little cummerbund for me that matched her dress.
1: Oh, very classy.
5: I don't know how classy it was, but it was interesting. And I guess it was in case we got lost, we could find each other in a crowd. Is it? I'm not sure how, how that worked. Do you
1: remember what Eva wore?
5: She wore, the first time she wore this blue satin uh, kind of dress and for her one she wore this uh, kind of black cocktail dress with sort of rainbow coloured kind of pink and yellow. Wait, I do remember. Oh, well Holy done. shit. Oh, Yeah, I do, maybe, yeah. Maybe
1: this is a sign of something, is it?
5: I doubt it. I've ah. divorced twice.
1: <laughs> Third time's the charm.
5: <laughs> I don't think she have any time for me now. I think she's she's matured enough to the point where she realizes she can tell me to get lost.
1: Barry, what do you make of the whole Deb's thing? Because if, when we were talking about it, we really started to to understand and realize that it's a real Irish thing. It's it's yeah. very unique to Ireland. What?
5: what do you yeah, make I didn't of it? I didn't realize there was a thing on a Nina And when you were describing it there, that sounds that would be interesting to me. I would love to see the history. But I assume it must be related to very old sort of adolescent rituals of coming into society.
1: Kind of, and it's also based on the American prom.
5: The prom, yeah. Well, yeah. Like you know, you read these Jane Austen books where the girl is presented to society yes, for the, the first time. Yes, debutantes. Yeah. Yes, same with something like I, that. Must be from the debutantes. That must be where the word comes from, right?
3: Yeah,
1: obviously. Yeah, it must have been. But it, like, it's not going anywhere soon. But do you think it's it's a good thing for Irish society? Is it something you'd like to to, to keep seeing in our culture? Do you think it's something that? Oh well, no, It's a cultural artifact, isn't it? Yeah, I think so.
5: Because nowadays, you don't need to present yourself to society. They're all on TikTok. Yeah. (laughs) And <laughs> that's where they're
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we, we were able to, to bring back great, well, maybe some not so great, but other great memories from your Deb's. Certainly right?
5: memories, yeah.
1: Great to talk to you this morning. Thanks yeah, for too. joining us. All right. the best. Thanks, Barry. If you want to share any of your deb's memories again, because we've been getting them in all week. It's really sparked something with everybody, this uh, new exhibition. You can text her, WhatsApp 083 311 331. Laura is on the line now as well. Hiya, Laura. Good morning, Alison. How are you? I'm good. Now, you certainly remember your Debs. Tell us what happened the day of your Debs.
6: Yeah, the day of our Debs. Um, the twin towers came down. It was the day of 9-11.
1: Wow, so you really remember that.
6: Yeah, I, I mean, I think everybody knows where they were. Everybody remembers where they were the day 9-11 happened. But yeah. like when the news was breaking, that we were like, oh my gosh, what is this? Because back then, I don't think big world dramas were... were Thorn, like every, you hear something crazy every day now. Yeah. But like back in 2001, it was really unheard of, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, you're right. And I think I would have been around the same <clears throat> go as you at that time. And I remember it and I thought, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Yeah. It was mad. And where yeah. did you go for your Debs? Where was your Debs on?
6: So I, I went to the presentation in Perlis and our Debs was in the Munster Hotel back in the payday. Oh, lo- do you remember your dress? I, I kind of vaguely remember having a two-piece. It was like a silver and wine, two-tone number.
1: Lovely. And
6: who did you bring? I brought. I was actually going out with a chap at the time in school, Thomas. My oh. cousin Thomas went together. Good
1: man, Thomas. And did Thomas have the tux as well? Oh, he did, full tux arrived the house to daddy with the chocolates and tow and the whole show. <laughs> oh, the poor fella. You'd always feel know, sorry for the it. lads, yeah. Yeah, so do I. When you kind of think back, it's something you forget because you take it for granted. You have your Debs every year, except the poor old misfortunates who missed out during COVID. But you, you really look back with fondness, I think, for a lot of people on their Debs, because it is the last to it's the last time you are all together with that group. Yeah, that's
6: when, it. When I, you I look felt back... Like- our Debs was like a rite of passage into yeah. adult goods. And, you know, I think a lot of people during COVID missed out on that and it was very sad. Yeah, it is. And
1: I wonder, well, how do you make then of this, this exhibition then that's taking place in Nina? It, it's nice to see that, that culture in front of us, isn't it? And, and the history Yeah, I actually of think it is. it is.
6: Yeah. I actually, I actually, I'm hoping to go see it because. I mean, it's hard to know what it's actually going to be. Is it going to be all the mad dresses and the 80s Or what it's going to be? So it'll be interesting for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anyone then coming up to that time? Maybe any of your own kids or, or nephews or nieces that are? having I have a the younger
6: sister who's actually doing her leaving cert this year. So oh, great! She'll and be you get to relive it. Deb. Yeah, yeah.
1: Is there much difference then what you can see from your Deb's and how she's approaching hers?
6: Not really in terms of the organisation and the planning of it. Like, I mean, it's still the same kind of theory behind it. It's still trying to get the tickets and the dresses and who do you ask to go? So the, the principles of it certainly haven't changed. Obviously, they're a lot more modern than we were, so... Yeah,
1: it's funny, isn't it? I mean, some things changed, and a lot of things stayed the same as well. Great yeah. to talk to you this morning, Laura. Thanks for sharing your memories you, with Alison. us. Take care. All the best. Thanks, Laura. A listener says, "I remember my deb's around 1996. Uh, the guy I was going out with broke up, broke it off the day after the deb's, as he annoyed me drunk. But to this day, he's the one I let get away. Oh, keep those texts coming in. Oh eight three three double one double three double one or eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. We're back after this.
4: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry
0: In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years
1: in the premier county. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. A commemoration to mark the centenary of the execution of four IRA volunteers in Rosgrave Castle during the Civil War will be held on the 8th. So this coming Sunday at 2 p.m. Frederick Burke, Patrick Russell, Martin O'Shea and Patrick McNamara were all executed by Free State Forces on January 15th, 1923. For more, I'm joined by Brendan as part of the Tipperary Republican Commemoration Committee in Ross Grey. Brendan, good morning.
7: Come on Alison. Thanks for having me on.
1: No problem. Good to talk to you this morning. Now, I know January 1923 in particular was a very heightened period in terms of, of the Civil War. But what was it that led to these executions?
7: Well, all four men were captured in December 1922. Burke, Ruffell and O'Shea were ambushed in a, a mail car and free trade patrol on the road between Barfley and Nina, a place called Ross. They were captured after a gun battle with Free State Forces. Pat Ka- McNamara was captured alongside another volunteer called Miss Roger Kennedy uh, outside uh, battle, outside Porro in Nina in a place called Lansdowne House. They were in the process of coming away from a, from a regular meeting, and the of Free State Forces raided the house that they were staying in that night, and all four men were transferred to Ross Grey Barrett that it was kind of, the Free State Force were concerned that executions in their local areas would inspire a, a higher degree of backlash whereas Ross Grey at the time was considered far enough away from both Nina and Boris Lee hmm. as it was more a safe place to carry out the executions.
1: And what was the reaction to it locally at the time?
7: It's uh, you know, that, uh, hard like. you got to remember in 1923 by the start of the year the Free State Force who were kind of had you upper hand in yeah. a lot of the countries. So Ross Grey was firmly for forces. The local IRA had occupied a building overlooking the Castle Yard but they weren't able to do anything other than kind of gather some intelligence because they knew the men were going to be executed but the, the date and time was kept a secret. But at that time they were captured with arms so the only outcome of, of any volunteer capture with arms was a death sentence. As the treaty government had decided they were taking a zero tolerance policy mm. towards Republicans. But no, it was there was a massive of outcry. Low, locally, particularly in Barfly, where the three men were well known and from from Republican families, and their families were denied visitations to them before the executions, and then and after the executions, they four were buried in the castle. Their bodies weren't released to their families until late nineteen twenty four.
1: Okay, was Roscrea Castle um, the scene for for other executions around that time as well, or w- was, were these executions um, unique in that regard?
7: Well they, well, they weren't unique, as there was uh, seventy-seven official executions and, and over and about another ten or so unofficial executions around the country. Of course, uh, the Free State had already executed IRA leaders Ray O'Connor and, and uh, Lee Mello meadows in the previously so it wasn't unique but they were the only official executions carried out in Tipperary okay. there was unofficial executions later in 1923 in Camel but, and there was other execute, official executions in Burr but these were the only ones, to take, place, official ones to take place in Tipperary Is this why
1: you feel that the, the, the to commemorate uh, this event is so important because it was one of the only official executions carried out?
7: Uh, yes, we would. We kind of, especially have the year now, we've yeah. been holding an annual commemoration for the men going back, going back over a decade now. But we feel that the centenary is important to mark as it's the only official execution in the prairie. It is kind of an important historical event, a, tra- a tragic one, albeit, but it, but it is part of the story of Ross Gray Castle.
1: Yeah. I know, was there some issue with the fact that you weren't allowed to um, hold this commemoration within the walls of Roscray Castle? Am I well, correct yes, that?
7: We, yes, you are, asking. We have uh, been engaged with the OPW. As I said, we've been holding the commemoration every year and we're always outside the gate where there's a little monument to the men. But the executions actually took place inside uh, a, a wall area inside the castle and that's where the four men were initially buried. Yeah. We were hoping for the centenary we'd be let in. You know, We've been engaged with the OPW for over a year on this, but they kind of threw up the walls and said no. They kind of deemed it wasn't an official OPW event, and this wasn't. And they weren't going to let us in. Uh, they, they deemed that just not an acceptable use of the castle.
1: That's very unfair, isn't
7: it? I don't know. We were very disappointed because initially we had been told last year that if we kind of ticked a few boxes, you know, uh, insurance, that kind of thing, we would get in. Mm. And we were very conscious of how we organised the event. We worked with family members and with the OPW and the council. And I have to say the council were particularly helpful with it, but unfortunately just couldn't get it over the line with the OPW as they, they're kind, of, they kind of concerned that it might be seen as a, as a political event because the men died on a particular side of the Civil War.
3: Well, I mean, it
1: is a political event, probably in in some cases. But a lot of events that are held, or commemorations are held, are in some way political. So it it, I don't understand the argument really in that from their perspective.
7: Uh, we're the same. I mean, it's impossible to commemorate Republican men as Republicans are not for being yeah. political. You'd be thinking a hundred years after the Civil War, it'd be acceptable to hold an event at the site where it actually happened. Mm.
1: Unfortunately,
7: unfortunately, we're outside the gate again this year, but we are going ahead as normal.
1: And what time is that taking place on Sunday, Brendan?
7: Yeah, so we're starting at 2pm. Uh, we're assembling in uh, the old Tesco car park, on Grove Street, there in Ross Grey, And we'll be, we'll be proceeding to the castle behind the pipe then for the main commemoration And we we'll, we we'll have Martin Ferris from Kerry coming up giving up the main oration.
1: Okay, um, can I ask as well, I know you were you were talking about, you mentioned it there, that uh, this year is a centenary year. Is there much being planned for it? Because there seems to be, and I spoke to John G about this when we went on a, a Dan Breen walk last year, that nothing seems to be being planned for this year. But is it just we don't know about it yet? What's going on with this year?
7: Uh, I suppose it's, it's an issue of a lot, maybe a bit of fatigue. There's a lot of commemoration in the last few years. But there is, there's or event next weekend now. If, on this and the following weekend there's another commemoration in Barfley just for the Burf say the three men from Barfley because that's going to be held in Isla Churchyard that's where the three men are buried yeah
1: but you would i mean you'd hope that maybe th- something nationally that there would be some kind of national recognition of it
7: maybe it's still a bit too too uh, too many conflicting narratives that the that the government can not agree and approve program of events yeah that could be causing it, but I suppose I know for us locally, it's like we're a Republican racial Committee, so we're interested in in, in honouring the men who stay true to, to the Republican cause. Mm.
1: Brendan, great to talk to you this morning. If anyone is looking for more information, is there anywhere online they can go?
7: Uh, I the uh check the 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 Republican Fame page behind us. They've been helping us promoting the event and there's local coming up there was involved in organising it but it is a little open to everyone it's not just uh, yeah. one particular place party event, but the coming up there have been involved for several years in commemorating these inn.
1: OK, Brendan, good luck with this I hope the weather stays good for you and we'll yes, talk thank to you. you soon Thanks a million All, right. All the best Thanks. That's Brendan O'Concourt there ahead of that commemoration in Ross Grey but I, you know I do think maybe the year that's in it and it is a commemoration or a centenary year. I think there should be maybe something nationally done to, to kind of recognise that. Let me know what you think. 0833113311 or 1800 Now, yesterday we heard several horror stories regarding our hospitals, particularly UHL and our health service kind of generally. Huge reaction all week to this story. There was some development last night after the HSC announced that Ennis would now be opened um, to take in patients and that ambulances would be able to bring some patients to Ennis. But they had to fit a certain criteria. Um, They haven't said what that criteria is, but uh, it's a small salve in this um, saga. Uh, in what's going on. Nothing mentioned about Nina yet. I think they said that it, it will be considered whether or not Nina could be used as well to take patients. Noel was in touch with us, though, and he joins me on the line now. Noel, good morning.
8: Morning, Alison, and thank you very much for having me.
1: Great to have you, Noel. Now, I know you are making the point that GPs as well kind of maybe need to do more.
8: Is that fair to say? Yes. It's not just six o'clock in the evening that they cut off and let let's say, care doc or Shannon doc or, or any other them docs come on board, right? They need they need to stay on after six o'clock in the evening. Yeah. They need to. And not, and not alone that, uh, I'll give an example. A certain doctor that was off during the week, they had it on their answer machine to contact Shannon doc or care doc, right? When when we contacted care, care doc, care doc knew nothing about it. Okay. So that's a big hiccup saying, oh, if you can't get through to Shannon Dock, you can't get through to Care Doc. The only option is now is heading to A&E. And that's the problem. But I, wasn't that the
1: whole point of, of things like Care Doc and Shannon Dock that you would have your out-of-hours GP, so you would always have a GP regardless of the time yes. of day or night?
8: But, but this, was at, this was at 11 o'clock in the morning. Okay. When you contacted your own doctor asking for an appointment, no doctor to be got. And ambulance machine said, "Contact Sharon doctor Care Doc,"
3: mm.
8: which is which is very very how would say unorganised should say? Yeah. And and not alone that open the wards that they are closed at the moment.
1: The problem with that, Noel, is they don't have the staff for them.
8: Well, take out some of the staff from other wards. I like any time that I've gone to a certain hospital now. I won't mention the name of the hospital. Right. they're walking up and down the corridor. They're oh, you... walking up and down the corridor. And some of them wouldn't even have a job to do.
1: But you can't assume that. I'm sure they're I know, doing yes, something. I know
8: that. But from when you're sitting there on the side of the corridor waiting for your appointment, you see them walking, one walking up, one walking down, one walking up, one walking up. And you say to yourself, have these people a job to do? But they
1: could be going from patient to patient, Noel.
8: True, true. That's uh, you have a point there to make. Yes, but in
1: terms uh, like with with staffing, and I mean we've heard from nurses and Louise, of course. In Nina would be um, a big friend of the show, and she's spoken to us and cried on the show many times about the pressure that frontline healthcare staff are facing, yes. trying to work in the conditions that they're working. So, may you know, is it is it fair to blame doctors and nurses when this is? It's a government issue. It's a HSE issue. It's
8: It's a it's a government issue as well as management issue. Yeah, it's a government issue as well as a management issue, and I and I highlight that because it's it's how I say the small things they're not looking at; they're all looking at the big things. Mm. That's from from my point of view.
1: When you say the small things, what do you mean?
8: Say, like for instance, um, how I say the the. they close down what goes down the MAU there in one hospital in Le- is Washford or Leam or something like that. Yeah. I remember there was a month ago, and they would take off some of the pressure off that. Yeah, the, so the
1: you're looking. Yes, yeah, so you're looking at the likes here. Um, I mean, in Tipperary, Cashel would be an obvious one if yeah, you open, open Cashel, for
8: instance. Yeah, though, Cashel was, was was turned into a. Is it a nursing home or something? They were changing it. Well, it there's
1: it. A, a local injuries unit there as well. Yes, open that. Take some of the pressure off A&E.
8: Yeah, but no, a lo- an awful lot of that was was actually mentioned when the minister came down to see it there was the last time, and that was brushed underneath the carpet.
1: Well, I think they they did try to earmark it as maybe a COVID facility, but as far as I'm aware, that didn't happen. It wasn't needed. No, you also have Saint Bridget's in Carrick and Shore.
8: Yes. That was another hospital that shouldn't have been closed down. Yeah. Like, like I worked with, with a, an ambulance service, a voluntary ambulance service, and we used to transport patients out of there. From St. Bridges? So from St. Bridges Hospital into Clonmel for appointments.
1: Noel, given your, your background and your experience with that, then how do you feel about the issues and, and the struggles facing paramedics now at this stage? Who I, I heard one speaking last night who they might just have one patient in a, in a whole shift because they're having to go so far outside of their area yeah. to collect a patient, bring them to hospital, wait at the hospital to get the trolley back and then go again to the next call. But, but in that time, that could take up a whole shift, just one patient. But-
8: Alison, I was, I'm originally from Galway, right? And I was on a board with the, say, the voluntary groups. And I mentioned it to, uh, there was a one fellow on the HSC there, and I mentioned it a couple of years ago back, and I said, the only way that the ambulance service is going to get anywhere proper is bring on the voluntary groups. Yeah. Like, say, for instance, Red Cross, Ultra Maltus, Civil Defence, St. John's, uh, bring them all on board. Work one day and pay the voluntary groups.
1: Pay them. Would they be trained as much as the, well, the paramedics?
8: Majority of them are Amy. Uh, sorry, you um, say um, what's called what's called that uh, above, below the paramedics. Um, well, I can't think of the name now. Sorry, now. It's,
1: That's okay. Uh, it's
8: a. It's a. It's next to it being, being a, a paramedic and an advanced paramedic, right? Right. So they mightn't be able to do all what a paramedic's able to do. But, but they able... can triage and transport. Yes. Bring them bring them from A to B and wait for them there. Yeah. Get on the voluntary groups. Let the voluntary groups bring their patient to a nursing home, an appointment, to another hospital if they have to, and leave the HSC ambulances to 999 calls only
1: yeah. Yeah, that's that a would relieve idea. an
8: awful lot of pressure off the the ambulance side of it
1: yeah it's a good and idea but the,
8: the hospital side of it then uh, like, I'll give you an example I went in there one day to, into Clonmel and I was standing at the, the the door where you walk in for A&E
3: mm.
8: where you're being checked in and I was told that you'll be waiting five hours before you've seen a doctor well,
1: five hours is good now, today.
8: Five hours, before before a doctor ever calls you. No yeah. blood, no nothing done, no X-ray done. Just five hours before you'll be called. And I'll tell her this to Fred.
1: Yeah. And now it looks like going by reports uh, today and this week, you could be waiting up to 24 hours. Yes. So it's gone from five to 24.
8: Yes. And like, it is it like, if a person that's very, very sick now, for instance, they have to wait five hours before they'll be seen. Yeah. And all there was four or five ambulances out at the back of me. And I, do you know, as you face the door, you go, go into your knee. Yeah. yeah. Right behind me, there was four ambulances parked up there.
1: That's such a waste, isn't it? And you'd be worried that if there is somebody who really needs an urgent ambulance, that they're just not there yes. and they're not and ready to at go. Least,
8: at least two ambulances could not take out their patients out of the ambulance because they had no choice to get. Oh,
1: Noel, would have put we put we are we spoke to a lot of people yesterday who said they'd be fearful now of going into hospital. Would you yes. be in that band yes. as well? Even,
8: I'm, I'm an asthmatic now, right? Yeah, and I and my wife is always saying, "Will you go into any? Will you go into any?" I I say no, not notion. Sure. I'm actually afraid to go into any case. I I pick it up. Okay. I'm afraid to go into any.
1: Noel, I am. Um, I hope you stay well, and thanks for talking to us this morning. Welcome back to Tip Today. Just to bring you some texts coming into the show this morning, Jimmy and Thurla says, there are more people in Birmingham City than in Ireland. How can they manage their patients? And we can't. Also, Councillor David Dunn was in touch. She said, thanks for mentioning St. Bridget's Hospital in Carrick and Shore. One of the problems with our current ongoing hospital crises is the lack of step-down beds, which St. Bridget's was a step-down hospital, taking pressure off our main hospitals. The frontline staff cannot be blamed for this crisis. It's HSE management and our government where the blame lies. Another listener says I think every person entering A&E should be doing covid tests on themselves beforehand to make sure that they are negative. A lot find out they have it afterwards when checked on wards and beds are being held up due to contact and positive results and nursing homes should be allowed to do more uh, care of patients to help in the A&E crisis. Also, Margaret says, I have a nurse uh, and sorry, a niece who's a three year nurse in Dublin this week, two days in college and three nine hour shifts in Beaumont. Has no pay. She's sick of the course now with high rent and no heating in damp flats. How fair is that? Shame on our government to treat our nursing students like that. Keep those texts coming into us. Uh, text or WhatsApp 083 three double one, double three, double one, or eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Earlier in the week, we discussed New Year's resolutions, of course, being the first week of January. And some of us wanted to get fitter, healthier and establish uh, some other personal goals for the new year. And of course, you'll see on social media or hear this one frequently around the office or around the house, the resolution to lay off the booze for the start uh, of the year for this month, which is also known as dry January. We're going to the phone lines now to ask listeners what they think of dry January. And Teresa joins me now. Teresa, good morning.
9: Good morning, Alison, and thank you. Good, and to happy talk New to you. Year to everybody.
1: Many happy returns, Teresa. What do you think of of Dry January? A lot of people taking part in it. Do you think it's a good thing?
9: I think it's a fantastic idea. I think there's more into Dry uh, Dry January now than what there would be to Lent. Um, I think January, even though a lot of people think it's a sad month. I think it's a good month to reflect back on what happened. But it's also a good month to make positive to look for well for the next year. I know we mightn't be in the best way, uh, say financial, hospital and every other way. But you have to have a positive outcome to get there too. You know, you have to have a mindset to be positive to do it. Yeah.
1: Would you be in favour then of New Year's resolutions?
9: No, no, because I'm great at breaking them, I'll yeah. be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be like the first saw- to admit it.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a strange one isn't it because dry January is a kind of a resolution I think maybe in a way because you're, you're promising yourself you're not going to drink um, for a whole month. It's funny how many people find that difficult but I say that I wouldn't be a big drinker so maybe I don't understand it.
9: Well I have to say now um, I think people are more into it now than they ever were. Um, I think with the cost of it number one you're kind of saying you're backing off but, it. And I mean, if you only have maybe a glass of wine a night or whatever you would have, you'll say, well, to hell with it. we leave it alone for a month. Um, I, I genuinely think it's the cost, the price, the going out part is completely, you could say, gone, going out to a pub because, again, you have taxis, zero tolerance and drink driving. Mm. So, you know, I think it's a good way in one sense And it's, I mean, it's only a month, so I mean, it's a good practice. I'd agree with it for the month. And let people make their own decisions after that, like... Is it a bad sign,
1: is it a bad reflection maybe of our society here that you know, people will go off drink for a month in January and think that, you know, it's such a struggle to stay off the drink, and then when it's done, aren't they great for staying off it? Is that kind of maybe a sad reflection about how much we rely on alcohol?
9: It is, and it isn't. Um... I mean, if you can do a month off a drink, you can do a second month off a drink, even if you don't do it one after the other. I mean, you can always say, right, I've said the month. Maybe cut back. Maybe where I'd have one week of a glass of wine and the second week, no. You know, I think individual people have woken up a lot to what the cost of it is. Yeah. And um, I think the drinking at home is okay if you're in your own house. But financially... I mean, can you afford it, number one, at this stage, with the way things are? Um, You have to look at, if you're drinking during the week, you have school, you have work the following morning. Again, you have to look at driving. So maybe it's a weekend thing, fair enough, if you're not Saturday night and you're not working Sunday. But um, a lot of people nowadays are actually shift work and do work Sundays. So maybe they'd have their drink on the Tuesday and the Wednesday where maybe they would have a day off, if you get my meaning. Yeah,
1: and COVID was a strange one as well because it meant, you know, we, we all did what we could to get through COVID. And for a lot of people, that was maybe sitting down having a glass of wine at night time, every night. Yeah,
9: yeah. And, you know, you can't blame people deal with, Stressing, yeah. as the saying is stress and levels and flus and colds in every different way, no people are the same um yes, it helped out a lot of people. I'm not anti drink by no means. I don't drink myself, but I don't mind a person having a drink that's their business um but I think the social drinking of the the drunken fellow that you would normally see on a Saturday night, I mean when I grew up in the seventies and eighties, it was they were absolutely plastered, if you get i mean. Yeah. It's a total different today. Now, uh, we actually went out there New Year's Eve because I had family home from England. And to see uh, the the streets were virtually non-existent, if you get my meaning, that normally you would be out when I was going out in the 80s and that, that you had everyone outside the pub, happy Christmas, happy New Year. You know, there was none of that and I will I must compliment uh, some of the younger people now and I'm going to give them a compliment Um, some of the gentlemen the lads anyhow in particular how nice they were out none of them drunk none of them falling around they had their few drinks they were happy but there was no real what you say spilling the pint over you that you'd often get years ago you'd done it that.
1: yeah I wonder is that culture kind of gone here I know it's probably not gone everywhere but like you said it's certainly not as bad as it was
9: Oh, certainly not. Absolutely. You know, I think as the saying is, it has changed due to the driving, due to the cigarette ban, everything. It has changed a lot.
1: Mm. It has. Do you think that's a good thing?
9: 100% 100% yes, because yeah. I think um, I even say now what I've seen surprised myself even New Year's Eve, how nice the, li- the lads were, how well they were able to chat with you, have the conversation and enjoy their few pints um, total different in seeing them what they were years ago, mm. and you know what if, it is that, if it's doing that good isn't it great, that's the way I look at it
1: Would you drink yourself Theresa?
9: I don't actually drink myself but I'm not a teetotaler either, put it yeah. that way
1: uh, yeah, I get you.
9: Uh, yeah, and I'm not a pioneer by no means. So, do you enjoy um, going out? Uh, when I do go out, I only went out New Year's Eve because it was, as I say, family home. It was a family, family get-together. Yeah. Otherwise, God knows when I'll be out again. That's the easiest way in saying it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I, I just don't think we have that same culture that we once had. Uh Peter's on the line with us as well this morning. Hi, Peter.
9: Good morning, Alison. How
10: are you?
1: I'm great, Peter. Good great. to talk to you this morning. And you, and what you. do you make of dry January?
10: <laughs> no, I just, I'm just making here to myself that um, it's a lady that doesn't actually take a drink that's talking about dry January. Well, she <laughs> takes a couple,
1: <laughs> she said. Ah, just... uh, yeah,
10: it's a bit funny, I. But it's typical Ireland, isn't it? It's like um, Emma Ryan. I was probably never in a bog tell us not to cut tough and all of that. 3 January, I have a completely different um, outlook on it altogether. Well, I us. think it's the darkest month of the year. Right. We should be encouraging people to go out. We should be making it possible for people to go out, have a game of chaos, meet up, have a chat, get out there and not have people locked at home in the blackest, darkest month of the year. That's that's the way I look at it.
1: But why does drink need to be a factor in it?
10: Drink doesn't need to be a factor in it. But if you close down our drinking um, our public houses and that, mm. we won't have any place to meet up. Yeah. A lot of people go to pubs and go out that don't drink. It's the chat. It's, 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 it's about um, socialising. It's about getting people back again to meeting one another, talking to one another, having a row over 50 pence game of cards that mm. last three hours. Like, this is where we need to get back to. Not telling people, oh, you had a few drinks over Christmas. Now you have to be good, boys and girls, and stay dry for January.
1: Well, I think a lot of people do it because maybe they feel like they overindulged over Christmas. So they're going to use January to maybe detox.
10: Of course, Alison, and that's their choice, which is perfect. But don't push it on everyone else. Yeah. But do you feel like it's pushed? It is pushed. It's yeah. like everything in this country. They come up with something else. They come up with some other one now. a dry something else or a wet something else or something down the road. It's Everything is pushed in this country. If you want to stay off your few pints and not go out for January, do that. Why tell the world about it.
1: Yeah. But that's what we do now, Peter. That's the, the society <laughs> we live in now. You, you want everyone to know what you're doing and what you've yeah. achieved. And... Yeah.
10: So unfortunately, like... Um, since New Year's Day they are telling people oh you had a little bit extra tease so now it's a dice now it's um, Operation Transformation it's God only knows why don't they do this in July and August when you could actually get out on the roads maybe go for a run when you won't be in danger of getting killed like why why do it all have to happen just after Christmas? Because they think people actually might have enjoyed themselves for a couple of weeks or a week off, do you know?
1: Yeah, well, I the sad thing about that now is they're, they're trying to encourage people to be a bit more healthier so you can stay out of the hospital because God knows what you face in there. Yeah,
10: that's, that's something that I feel very strongly about. Health is about people meeting, talking to one another. The people that go out and socialise a little bit have an awful lot less tablets on their dressing table than the ones that are locked up and that are not going anywhere. Yeah. So not socialising, socialising is something we have always done. It was done ever before there was popes. People meeting up at at crossroads, dancing and music, and if people don't go back and talk to one another again. We're in serious trouble in this country. And that... I never. Yeah.
1: It's probably one of the big um, crises, I think, other than, well, it's part of health, I suppose, in a way, but the, r- particularly rural isolation and okay. loneliness is a huge, yes. huge problem.
10: And that is what is causing a lot of the hospitals being full up with people. Do you think people so? Are, yes. There's they're, they're just no will. If you go out and have a bit of fun, you feel so much better. Yeah. Like you're sitting at home, looking out the window and it's
6: raining and wind and dark
10: and you're told probably turn off your electricity early because we might have an electricity shortage. <clears throat> the whole you, thing you is, don't
1: have fuel for the
10: fire. Uh, you don't have fuel for the fire.
1: Yeah.
10: But if you go down to your local or somewhere, have a game of cards, you'll, you'll just lose all the worry for a couple of hours. Peter, and it'll help people's health.
1: A listener uh, wants me to put it <coughs> to you that you're obviously not putting up with an alcoholic in the home. Um, if you think it's great, uh,
10: it's sorry. The no. listener says <coughs> it,
1: it is great if they stay off it for a month.
10: No, no, I'm not. I'm not talking about alcoholics or anything at all like that. The listener's not listening to what I'm saying. I'm on a completely different. I'm talking about social drinking. Yeah. That's good, Mel. <clears throat> I'm talking about social drinking. It doesn't have to be alcoholic. And I really feel sorry for anyone putting up with an alcoholic. That's horrible. Mm. But there's also people putting up with abuse, with domestic situations, that it's not a dry abuse month. you know, there's a lot of stuff out there yeah. that if you're putting up with an alcoholic, you need to go and get help and get that sorted out. It's not the couple of people go out to socialise have a game of cards, have a couple of pints or maybe have a manual, yeah. uh, but meet one another, that that's a, um, they're not the problem for that other person.
1: I suppose the problem with what you're saying as well is a lot of people just like um like what Teresa said, people just don't go out anymore because of the fear of getting caught for drink driving and the cost of it.
10: Yeah, that's another point I'd make there that um, I go all over Christmas. Like um, you cannot get home. Yeah. There's no taxis. There's no way. So the pubs like the pubs are dying. They won't die. They're gone anyway because they're now forced out because you'll get caught in the morning, eleven o'clock if you had a couple of pints the night before. You can't get a taxi home. Um everything is going towards um cutting down rural islands especially. But if you look at Tlanmel over this holiday period, just frightening how quiet it was.
3: Yeah.
10: You know, so A
1: listener is saying, Peter, that the pub won't solve your problems and that you're promoting pub
10: life. No, I'm I'm promoting social life. Yeah. And nobody said the pub will solve your problems. But I can assure that, listener, there's an awful lot more problems solved in the pub than have been solved in people being locked up in their houses on their own.
1: Yeah, and if you're to sit in a bar stool for an hour, I tell you, a lot of the country's health problems might be sorted uh, by someone on a stool as well.
10: That there, there were more prob there were more problems solved in in probes over yeah. the years. Uh, and it mightn't have been um mightn't have been meant to be solved, but somebody say something and should actually solve the problem because people they're not as high tighty tighty maybe when they have a pint or two. Yeah,
1: you're and a bit more relaxed, I suppose. You're a
10: bit more relaxed, you know. So like right. of course I support um keeping our rural um culture alive, keeping socializing alive. Yeah. Whether it's like, everyone that goes to a pub doesn't have to drink. That's
1: true. That's true. So, Peter, you're promoting not a dry January, a wet January.
10: I don't really care. It's up to everybody else what they do with their January. Like, you know, but they'd be lots lot better off to do it uh, maybe in July or August when um, they have other things to do. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. rather than, like, I myself, I smoke for years. I get more happy January. I tortured myself, I say, for about 20 years. And one year I decided, no, I'll do it some other time. And that's 21 years ago. And I didn't smoke since.
1: Ah, so you so, think maybe the pressure of that exactly. month was what got it's you? It's the
10: wrong time of the year.
1: Yeah. Well, that's very New Year's
10: Eve, you're out celebrating and you're meant to not smoke again at 5 past 12. Yeah. It's stupid, crazy stuff. Yeah,
1: you, you make know, some good points. Peter and Teresa. great yes. to talk to you both this Love morning. It. Thanks for joining us. Alison, happy Thank New you, Year. Bye. to you, all happy the best, good year to
10: yourself, Alison, happy returns. and all the gang. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Thank Peter. You. Uh, just to bring you some text on that. Tracy says uh, pubs now serve a lot of non-alcoholic drinks now, so people don't have to drink at all. Jack then says, What's the problem with people going out drinking in January? Hard working Monday to Friday, deserve to have a few drinks with friends. The people giving out are probably the people on the dole who do nothing but drink Monday to Friday instead of working, who get money handed to them to go drinking. That's from Jack, who says he's aged 25. Um... Uh, where, do you, where do you go for that help uh, can you ask, we have a allowed doing dry January, we'll find out more about that, keep those texts coming in to us 83 311 or
4: 1800-938-007 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in
0: association with Slattery's of Pecan Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer Slattery's Garage
1: Pecan the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Patrick says, socialising in Ireland is dead. No cabs due to fuel costs, too expensive to go out, and yet we are extending pub and nightclub hours to many double standards. Uh, keep those texts coming in to us this morning. or Now, I'm sure many of you know the Franciscan Order will receive a civic reception in Malta Markets departure from the town after over 700 years. Uh, the Friary in Abbey Street in Clomel will close after masses today. For more, I'm joined by our show contributor and founder of Seesaw Clomel, Jolie He Joe, good morning. Good morning, Harry. Good to talk to you this morning, Joe. It's it's a very sad day for the town, isn't it?
11: Oh, uh, it is. It's a sad day for the town, and I suppose as well, uh, you know, a lot of contributors have been on and, you know, on social media and everything else and on the airwaves, but it's also a very sad day, I think, for the Friars themselves. Yeah, You know, they're they're like they've been a group of people like, you know, just even in just recent years, you know, I know that there were years and years, but uh, 750 years. But in recent years, the people that we know now, the present holders of of office there, you know, they're all splitting up now, you know, and they're going to literally the four corners of Ireland, you know, in different places. And they're breaking up as a unity as well. So that's difficult for them, too.
1: Yeah, it's very sad. I mean, over 700 years, I mean, the, the history of them alone is just incredible.
11: It is, and, you know, there was, you know, like, now this is, I suppose, only relevant to people that are, are you know, believers or church boards There are a lot of, a lot of people you know, that aren't, and so be it. But the people that are I think the friary was certainly a special place. You know what I mean? I don't know, Especially would but I
1: agree with you on that, Joe? Because, I mean, look, I wouldn't have any huge religious affiliation, but there'd often be days, if you're having a bed all day, there was a couple of times I went into the friary just to sit down and have a bit of peace and calm, and it was amazing.
11: Yeah, well, well there you go. is that, and, you know, excuse my wording, but aren't you living proof of that? Isn't that yeah. what we all do? I've gone in there numerous times, you know, and and numerous times when I needed to, and numerous times when I had to, and all that, and you got the same peace and you got the same you know tranquility that was in there you got uh, as well as that was a very private place you know you had your own space there I'm not saying that I don't want to sound as if I'm condemning other places but that had a special place you
3: know
11: it
1: definitely
11: had a different feel it had it had a different feel about it but I also think there was something unique about it I think you know one of the things I was talking to a few people there now about it and one of the things that that came struck my mind was that you know it was just on the side of the footpath you know it was so near to pop in in the
1: know,
11: middle of the town. Right in the town centre, yeah. absolutely. And people come downtown, you know the town centre, you know the traditional way this life was you come down, you got the fresh bread or you got the newspaper or whatever you did and then you popped in, but you, you aimed your things around the 10 o'clock mass or whatever it was that you popped in, you know and it was a nice quick mass, there was no big sermon about it or anything, all oh, just was mass mass and you were kind of over 20-25 minutes out the door and you were happy and off you went. Yeah. And then often you went in there for a few minutes and you'd always see somebody inside in St. Anthony's that were in more difficulty than you were on that particular day, yeah. you know?
1: Do we know what's going to happen to the Friary now? I know the Councillor in talks um, in terms of its its future, but is, th- is there anything we know yet?
11: No, there's nothing that we know yet. There's nothing that's out there yet. What I would hope, like, you know, while today is the last day, I suppose, of... The Friars may be saying mass. I would honestly hope that it's not the last day that mass will be said in the friary. Yeah. you know, I would honestly hope that some religious organization, you know, would take it over and continue, or some religious grouping would be able to keep it open, you know, for for some under some format at least. You know, that you know, like if you look back like years ago, you know, we were great like at sending priests to the missions and sending them all over the world. You know, mm. maybe it is time that that was reversed and that some of these. Um, Different countries could send us a few now in our hour of need because we are in an hour of need. And if we don't address it soon, and I mean very, very soon now, there'll be an awful lot more of them closing because the the clergy are getting all elderly and they're moving on and they're not being replaced. So Mm -hmm. we need to have not a lot of rethink, but a quick rethink to keep the show on the road, you
1: know. That's true. And you'd, you'd have concerns, I suppose, as well as to, you know, obviously nobody wants to see it closed down, but at the same time, if it is taken over, you don't want everything that's in there ripped out and it's just turned into some novelty building oh, for no. like a nightclub or something like that. You know what I mean? No,
11: oh, I think of the nightclub are nearly gone as well. <laughs> <I think so. laughs> no, you certainly, you're certainly do not... You certainly don't want that to happen. and But I think, though, it I honestly believe like there's there's too much of a, a good religious feeling about it for that to yeah, happen.
3: Hopefully. You know,
11: I really think um, you know, and I would hope, like obviously when people are in discussions behind the scenes, you know, they don't do them in public and they shouldn't because whatever suggestion you come up with, you'll get 10,000 reasons why that shouldn't happen and that yeah. shouldn't happen. I think whatever discussions, if there are, which I hope there are taking place behind the scenes, that it will continue as a as a religious place and as a place of worship.
1: Absolutely. Joe, good to talk to you this morning. All the best.
11: Thank you very much, Ali. Thank Thanks, you. Joe. Bye-bye. And Bye-bye. just for
1: anyone interested, that Mass will be live streamed. It's on YouTube, actually. It's scheduled for 11.30 this morning. So if you just go to YouTube and type Mass of Thanksgiving and Farewell, Uh, and put in today's date that should give you the link for it but it is being live streamed just for anyone maybe who uh, are unable to attend this morning. Uh, Patrick says I hope our council do something to preserve our beautiful friary and keep this historic building open. I have so many fond memories there. Now, today, of course, it's the celebration of the Feast of the Epiphany in Ireland. January 6th is marked by Nolagnamon, or Women's Little Christmas. On this day, it's tradition in Ireland for the women to get together and enjoy their own Christmas, while the menfolk stay at home and handle all the jobs. For more, we're joined by historian Mary Alice O'Connor. Mary Alice, good morning. Good morning,
12: good morning, Alison. Good to talk to you, and Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year and happy... Nolignamon to you. Happy you Nolignamon.
1: Know? Isn't it a great yeah. day for us to celebrate us, Mary
12: Alice? <laughs> About time. I hope I hope so. Um What's the history of it? Yeah, it's it's a tradition, obviously, that went back probably to the forties or fifties, sixties, and in a particular part of Ireland, predominantly Cork and Kerry, and maybe the parts of the west of Ireland. And I think the rest of us would have An idea of it, but not to the extent that it would have been celebrated originally. Like, the whole social character would have been different. Mm. Big families, mother, you know, the roles were very defined. The women did the work, the cooking, the making of the cake, all of that stuff. And the men did the farm work or whatever else they were engaged in. And so then, on the 12th day, which is the 6th of January... The the roles were kind of reversed, or at least the men looked after the children, did whatever they were capable of, I suppose, (laughs) housework-wise. Mightn't have been great. And the women had a celebration. Now, they didn't necessarily have a big dinner or bottle of wine. They, They may just have had tea and cake, you know, the last of the cake, yeah. So there was kind of a practicality to it as well, and we forget too, Alison. People lived differently. They often had the mother-in-law, maybe a sister of the man of the house living. There was a more, there was more women involved. Yeah. They didn't live in that nuclear family that we think about now, you know. And of course, then the tradition was also that you took down the decoration. Okay. Now, it was considered to be unlucky to take them down before or after the 6th of January. So it marked the end of that Christmas season, you know? Uh, but it's persevered, hasn't it? We, we still celebrate it. I'm quite surprised now, even trawling through social media this morning, see a lot of posts about this, um, see people commenting who are now living maybe in the UK from Cork and Kerry in particular, saying that either they miss it or they've started a little tradition that they've explained in the community where they live, you know? Mm. Is it a uniquely
1: Irish thing?
12: Uh, yes, it is, yeah, yeah. Um, it seems to not be a tradition in other countries that I can see. Um, in Italy, for example, which would, be, would, at least in the past, same as ourselves, have been considered to have been very Catholic, it would be the Feast of the Epiphany yeah. Because it is a holy day in the church calendar. And so it's a day of obli- massive obligatory, you know.
1: Was that something that the church brought in, um, which I think they did a lot traditionally, wasn't it, to kind of um, overlap these traditional uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. holidays?
12: A lot, yeah, a lot of what we would call, I suppose, um, pagan pig, <laughs> pig, pig yeah. trees were kind of brought in and made in to... Catholicism, really, you know, or whatever. And of course, traditionally, people, and it would have been the case now in my own, I'm obviously, I'm obviously old enough to be your mother, Go um, that. people people would bring holly. And that's the tradition that we would have always pursued in, our, in my own family.
6: Yeah. The
12: holly was the important thing. And apparently... The idea was that you kept the holly, you took down the holly, obviously, on the 6th of January and that some of it would be kept and burnt in the fire later on on show Tuesday. Now, I we never did that, but I always loved the holly and the holly would be more important to me than anything else, you know. I was looking
1: at um, some folklore um, sites as well over yes. Christmas and the ones um, pertaining to New Year's are very interesting as well, particularly the one where you shouldn't have anyone or is it the first person who comes in the door after midnight should have black hair? That's
12: right. That's, That's right. very and, interesting. And that you should open the door. Now, I had only heard to leave the uh, new year in and open the back door to leave the old year out. And do you know what? I have to say, I Knock snuck out at 12 o'clock and open the front door. You, I was letting on nothing. I, I was letting on nothing to, <laughs> to himself because that's what I think I'd taken a leave with my senses. But, you know, it's just a supposed kind of a tradition. And, mm. you know, we kind of, in a way, engage a little bit with the superstitions, even though, you know, we're all modern and mm. things have changed. But I think sometimes, say, when you look at the idea of celebrating on the 6th of January, bringing to an end um, the whole season of Christmas, taking down the decorations, maybe having tea and cake with your friends or neighbours, whatever. It's quite nice, isn't it? It is no?
1: lovely. It's very different now, though, because it's all Prosecco and sparkly tops now I- as <laughs> opposed to cake <fruitcake> and tea.
12: <laughs> well, you know, I, I heard your previous contrib- contributor talking about... Um, the whole thing of going to the pub and the business sociability yes. and all of that. And, you know, gosh, the dry January and, you know, it's hard time of the year. I personally postpone it until later because well I have a birthday in January, see so I'm a Capricorn so okay. then we'd have to be breaking it for that anyway, wouldn't we? Of so, course, you, you know. couldn't
1: go dry for your birthday.
12: <laughs> well, but I think you know, Addison, in a way, he had a very good point. Have we lost that companionship, that bit of fun, that, you know, it doesn't have to be about a huge amount of drinking or anything, you know? Mm. I, I would have to say, you know, over Christmas, I had a, things going on. And uh, I went into a cafe with a couple of friends after a funeral, actually, one of the days. And, you know, it was lovely. You could kind of, you could express yourself. You could say how you were feeling. It was only tea and and, and a bun. But that's good fear. You, Absolutely. You know?
1: And it was almost, almost destroyed, I think, during COVID. And look, it, it was a necessary yeah. evil that we had to do. But I think we forgot then how to come back from it. It,
12: it did. But, you know, like everything, do we, do, you know, we we need to get a grip as well. You know, we're all we're all adults. We're capable of making decisions. We we don't need you know big brother to tell us well you must do this now and you must do that. You know, let's use our own common sense and intuition and protect ourselves to a certain extent. I had to go by train to a hospital yesterday. We wore our masks. We were careful. We sanitised our hands. We did the best we could.
1: You know. Yeah. And um, so far, so good.
12: So far, so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think we need a bit of optimism. So I say to all of you ladies out there today, and oh, another very yeah. interesting point. Now, just as a very good way of finishing this, um, Olivia Hughes from Feathers and some women they climbed. Um, I leave them on. Nineteen twenty-nine. do you know what came out of that? What they founded the ICA. The Irish really? Country Women's Association was founded in Feathers. Oh, well, I was And very positive, yes. And, uh, you know, they were looking down, these women were looking down at Clonmel and and those areas. And that organisation has made a huge difference to the yeah. lives of women right up to now and, you know, the, it's the idea,
1: isn't it very ironic as well that the idea for it then was born on Schlieblemann? Yes, isn't it?
12: The, yes. Women, the mountain of the women.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Mary Alice, great to talk to you this morning and Happy <laughs> New Year to you.
12: Lovely and to all our listeners, lovely. <laughs> thanks, yeah, thanks Mary Alice.
1: Ger uh, was in touch with us. Ger says, I'm sick of hearing about little women's Christmas. I'm a man. I do all the cooking in our house, including the Christmas dinner. So do several men I know, some modern day women. Um, couldn't even cook a bowl of mar- of microwave porridge, jerk. Can you can you just give us one day, jerk? We just want one day.
4: If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on one 7
1: Welcome back to Tip Today. A couple of listeners looking for that link for the uh, mass at the Friary. If you go to YouTube and you type in Mass of Thanksgiving and Farewell. And then today's date, 6th of January, 2023, you'll find it there. It's scheduled for 11.30. So once again, go to YouTube and it's Mass of Thanksgiving and Farewell, 6th of January, 2023. Okay. Uh, keep those texts coming in to us as well. 0833113311 or 180-938-007. Now, a stream of sensational claims and accusations from Prince Harry's autobiography, Spare, have been leaked. The book outlines grievances and bitterness in the royal family, such as a claim that he and Prince William urged their father not to marry Camilla. He also gave a number of sit-down interviews with Anderson Cooper of CNN. Also, Good Morning America and one with ITV, which is set to air this weekend. Here's just a small clip of what's coming uh, this weekend.
5: Wouldn't your brother say to you? I don't know how staying silent is ever gonna make things better. Wouldn't your brother say to you, Harry, how could you do this to me? After
4: everything, after everything we went through, wouldn't that be what he would say?
5: He'd probably say all sorts of different things.
4: Some people will say, you have railed against invasions of your privacy all your life. But the accusation will be, here are you invading the privacy of your most nearest
5: and dearest without permission. That'll be the accusation. That'll be the accusation from the people that don't understand or don't want to believe that my family have been briefing the press
7: if you're invited to the coronation will you come
5: there's a lot that can happen between now and then but you know the door is always open the the ball is in their court there's a lot to be discussed and i really hope that they are willing to sit down and talk about it
4: do you still believe in the monarchy yes do you believe you'll play a part in its future
5: i don't know
1: Bernard Purcell is editor of the Irish World in London and he joins me on the line now. Bernard, good morning. Good morning. Good to talk to you this morning, Bernard. What's been the reaction to these latest revelations? I think nobody was expecting him to be so brutally honest as he was, were they?
4: Um, even if they had been, or um, there's a vested interest in keeping the pot stirring um, because... It's got a lot of cut through. Uh, newspapers are lapping it up, so are broadcasters. Uh, ordinary people are talking about it. Um, so it's big box office. So uh, a lot of the revelations, such as they were, are pretty much stuff that's been known through drip feeds over the years. Um, the idea that there might have been some uh, antipathy towards Camilla, uh, the idea that there were tensions over Meghan. I mean, it's it's a whole cottage industry. The one difference is that um, rather than it uh, being left to the tabloids and others to uh, make the most of, it looks like, um, as someone else has already said, uh, Harry and Meghan have decided to uh, cut out the middleman and um, provide a uh, lucrative source of attention for themselves.
1: One of the admissions that I found quite startling was where he said that he, um, when he was serving in Afghanistan he killed 25 members of the Taliban and that he didn't consider them to be people but they were pieces on a chessboard. I thought that was very startling.
4: It's startling, and uh, for some it's a bit uh, too close to home. It's already been uh, provoked some outrage from a former uh, commander in Afghanistan who's now Tory MP, Richard Kemp, and um, Rishi Sunak was asked about it today and uh, would not be drawn on it and wouldn't say anything. Um, Kemp said that uh, this is an outrageous slur on the British Armed Forces. We always treat enemy combatants as people, and we would never um, see them as inhuman people to be killed. Um, so... That might be up for debate um, from anyone with experience of uh, warfare.
1: Now, there is some conspiracy online that the reason he said that was in order to, um, I suppose, put himself in danger and therefore to make the argument that he needs um, official security uh, more viable for him.
4: Um, it's That's a very... It's entirely possible, but it seems to have come out of nowhere to suggest that. Um, the, uh, he has offered to pay for his own security in the past. Um, the attitude of Buckingham Palace at the moment with this has not necessarily been a strategy that's worked in the past, but may work on this occasion. They're hoping that it will blow itself out because they, they see themselves as having, um, uh, whether it even arguably, worse storms. Um, but one of the things that they're up against is the fact that uh, while they're trying to consider how the monarchy goes forward, how do you tailor a new monarchy for the latter part of the 21st century, um, it has argued that the likes of Harry and that are pitching to a younger generation um, over the heads of the palace and over the heads of the king and uh, the uh, heir to the throne. And all of the research suggests that they have an awful lot of support from younger adults who tend to take their side. It's uh, kind of, whereas we had... um, a soap opera approach mm. to uh, the monarchy in the past this is more like uh, the only way as Essex or uh, yeah. Love Island approach uh, to the monarchy and that is working people are talking about it over their coffee breaks and um, in shops and elsewhere Are
1: people starting to tire of it at all because it's the same argument we've been hearing for years I know we get more detail every so often but it's, it's always the same they're wronged and they're the victim and there's no self accountability there at all for maybe the role they played in it
4: I think some people will um, take sides, but for the most part, it's bread and circuses. There are other more pressing um, challenges for people here today, and uh, they'll enjoy the sideshow as um, long as it goes on, but um, I don't think they're likely to give it a great deal of uh, long-term consideration, I thought.
1: Could it damage um, the royal family's reputation, and particularly Prince William, because he was very much... um targeted, I suppose, in these accusations. Harry said that that William attacked him even one night and assaulted him and pushed him to the ground. Could that be damaging for
12: William?
4: Well, his father is known to have a temper as well and to have very progressive um, liberal instincts as well. And the royal family has uh, weathered far more damaging accusations over the years. I mean, if you think about um, damaging the monarchy, what is its role? Uh, one of the biggest challenges to it and what showed its limits was uh, the constitutional challenge a couple of years ago when um, Boris Johnson sought to uh, illegally close down um, parliament so that they could just rush Brexit legislation through mm-hmm. the uh, supposed um, gatekeeper of the constitution, the monarch, uh, was unable to put up any resistance to that at the time. So there might be a debate, um, which is currently going, uh, there are kind of de facto consultations going on with uh, Charles uh, reaching out to communities, um, and we'll see what kind of shape the uh, coronation takes later this year. Um, But... The monarchy can be as relevant or as irrelevant as um, people holding it. Keep in mind it's an hereditary position. But for a, a stroke of um, well arbitrary luck, it could just as easily have been Andrew on the throne. And yeah. um, But as it happens, it, the person there, it takes it very seriously and does want to make a difference.
1: Do you think Harry will go to the coronation?
4: Um, I think that might... Just based on past experience, having covered these events, and with no... Inside knowledge or expertise whatsoever. I think unless the, sto- the uh, momentum has gone out of this story, I think it's very unlikely because I think um, they're going to, they don't want distractions. I mean, Charles will not want distractions. This is his big moment. But uh, if they've let the um, wind run out of this, that's always a possibility. But I think for, the na- for now, uh, Harry and uh, Meghan, their industry is... The grievance, the um, dysfunction. Yeah. Um, so, I think, but uh, I wouldn't rule it out, but um, not on current trends as things stand today. But as I said, if the wind goes out of the sails, uh, quite possibly.
1: Finally, Bernard, do you think this was timed purposefully? Do you think they waited until the Queen was dead to do this?
4: Oh, I would have thought so. Yes. Yeah.
1: It's incredible, isn't it? And what's been the reaction in the UK to it?
4: Well, as, I say, as we mentioned, it's um, in all of the tabloids. It's uh, across all the broadcasters. It's taking up uh, acres and uh, taking up loads of megabytes. Um, yeah. People are... It's been a bit of a circulation boost for some of the um, more popular tabloids. You see people uh, reading it. Um, it. It would be cruel to call it schadenfreude, but I think mm. it's a kind of bemusement and uh, diversion is, uh, has generally been the reaction.
1: Yeah, it's a look behind the curtains, I think, which we all love. Bernard, great to talk to you this morning and all the best.
10: Thank you. Thanks,
1: Bernard. That's Bernard Purcell, their editor of The Irish World in London. Yeah, we love the drama of it, don't we? We, we like not being maybe involved in it, but just looking in on it. Keep your texts coming into to us, zero eight three three double one double three double one, or 1800938007 Welcome back to Tip Today and our first Friday panel of the new year of 2023. Delighted to be joined by our panel this week, Dr Rachel Woodlock, lecturer and academic writer and soon-to-be lecturer at the University of Melbourne. It'll be your last panel for a while, Rachel, so we'll enjoy this one. I'm going to miss you. Uh, Connor O'Brien, then finance uh, professional, and Noel Buckley as well, former secondary school teacher. Good morning, one and all. Great to have you all with us this morning. We're going to start off, of course, the, the biggest news story of the week, and that's the hospital crisis. We seem to ask this question every time we have this kind of problem and have we finally reached crisis point? Noel, I might start with you on this. I mean, the reports we're getting this week, horrific, horrific Mm -hmm. and sad and it seems like there's no end to it.
13: Yeah, uh, well, you, you say a crisis. Have we reached crisis point? If you look back in the statistics, we've been in crisis point around wintertime since 2002. So it, it's not new. I suppose the depth of the crisis is the difference this time. I'll give you an example. In 2005, Tala had 12 beds in their emergency section. They now have only 20. And yet our population has grown by 1 million. And can you imagine the large area uh, hospital like Tala uh, services? Secondly, um, what we are facing right now is the equivalent if I could use an an image of trying to fit a pint and a half into a pint Uh, that's what's happening in our hospitals we don't have the capacity interestingly I heard a doctor on and he was being challenged um, but he said I'm quoting the health board's uh, statistics themselves in 2008 we had 11,000 beds and they promised by 2018 we'd have 17,000 beds we have at this moment 11,700 so uh, there is a problem in this country we're very good at making announcements but we're very poor at delivering. And we seem incapable of laying down a roadmap and a timeline by which stuff will be delivered. We also have the problem that retaining staff, if you're working in that type of horrendous environment and you look to Australia or wherever else where you can have a better quality of life, because as a young person you have choices maybe older people don't have in terms of healthcare workers you're not going to stay along in the system so we're losing a lot of wisdom and uh, the, the potential of, of, of retaining people interestingly I gave a lift to two uh, French tourists during the summer uh, two of them from just graduated from their own medical school in France but they were explained to me I was saying, are you going to head, travel in Canada, Australia? Oh, no, we have to commit to seven years in the French health system. Seven. seven, yeah, before we can do that. So, like, the Irish state invests a huge amount of money in training our doctors and nurses and even teachers. And there should be some type of system where you have to give a certain amount of time back. We can't have this mass exodus. But I suppose we have three challenges. We have the challenge of there isn't enough beds in the country. And we keep talking about this and doing too little about it. We have the problem in terms of staff and staff management. But a friend of mine, a pharmacist, warned me to get the flu injection. Uh, they're back in, in um, the end of September. He said, whatever you do. And I said, why? But he said, a friend of mine, pharmacist in Australia, and their winter, of course, was our summer. And he said, Australia had 20% spare capacity in their hospitals, but even they were overwhelmed by the flu bug that was uh, in, in full swing there uh, during their winter. So we never had capacity in our health system. So that's what we're feeling now is the massive overwhelming of sheer numbers. And mm-hmm. there's an interesting statistic um, by the emergency services in, in, in England done, and it's based on research, the optimum time when you go into emergency from the point of view of the effectively dealing with whatever illness you have is a five to six hour wait. And you have one in every 80 people will die if it extends beyond those, 60, those five to six hours. Now, people are spending 10, 12,
3: 24.
13: And I had an interesting experience. And thankfully, she had a fr- an Irish friend, a Ukrainian a woman who was admitted to accident emergency here in Clonmel after Christmas wasn't being seen. And the works and uh, because my friend knew her uh, went in and became our advocate in the hospital and got her seen but that is the other problem. If a sick person is going in and they don't have an adv- an advocate or an older person, they're often left in a trolley and often missed Yeah, and it's no fault of anybody in there it's just the sheer numbers they're dealing with.
1: And that's what we've heard from certain listeners this week that they've had to roar and scream to mm. be seen and it's not fair. And Rachel, if I go to you, uh, no, the government will say that this isn't something that's going to be solved quickly but the problem and the frustration around that is we saw during COVID that things can happen very quickly but mm. they're just not happening now.
14: Mm. Well, the thing is is that this has been chronic underfunding, chronic mm. um, lack of overhauling the infrastructure of the whole healthcare system in the society which feeds into the problem. Um, And so consequently, you know... What's happened now is this crisis, Um, and that's what the other. That's what I found interesting too with COVID, because all of a sudden we had to schedule, for example, appointment times, instead of going in and sitting in an appointment and waiting for ages. Just this, and this is not an accident, emergency. This is just general appointments that you have to have in the hospital, because we had to schedule them. We we were in and out, and and it was all very smoothly run. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so we can make a change. It's just, it's crazy. But the other thing that Noel was saying about this flu surge is because. we um, didn't have the same rates of transmission of flu during the COVID pandemic. So our immune systems didn't get used to these various strains of flus and colds and and, um, uh, bronchial problems that, that crop up every year so now we're having the rebound effect of um more problems with flu um, than we would normally perhaps um see but no we can see these things coming off a of stream you know it's a crisis but it's something that we haven't actually thought right we need to get our our chips into play straight away
1: Mm. and Connor, i mean in terms of of finance is it a finance issue
15: No, it's just a political ineptitude here. Mm. They are dancing around the issue of we will not tackle the unions, we will not tackle the staff issues because, oh God, we might lose votes and there's an election coming. The behemoth that is the HSE and the animal that it has created, I mean, they still haven't unwound the health boards. I mean, All those staff are still there. All those bureaucracies Bureaucratic practices are all still there, and they haven't focused on what should be the priority, which is frontline workers. Whereas they're burgeoning with all these admin and clerical and everything else that happens in the background, and it's why we don't see progress like the extra seven thousand beds that are due, why they're closing St. Bridget's, why they're closing Nina A and E. I mean, it, it's all just the reactionary stuff. It's going to take a minister with some serious guts to tackle this and a government would see it because they have to be 100% aligned and I don't see any coalition being that aligned to be able to tackle this
13: I think think, Alison you you need the equivalent if you remember this is the history teacher Dr Noel Brown, there was a huge problem in this country with TB and when he became Minister for Health he took the radical approach we are building hospitals we are putting in x-ray machines into them and he turned the epidemic of TB right around and and it, there's a lack of political will, but also I think, you know, accident emergency is almost the first port of call now because mm-hmm. our our other services, your yeah, GP, absolutely. everything, um, is not able to sustain it. But also we're in a culture of defensive medicine. Yeah, Everyone is are yeah. terrified to make yeah. a decision. If you go to sue me, yeah, I I I got a bad cut when I was working on a project in my son's house, and I needed stitches. I knew I did. I was very fortunate to go to a GP who did them there and then. So literally 10 minutes after I got the cut, I was stitched. Now, I was told if I'd gone to any other doctor in San Mel, I'd have been sent up to accident and emergency, mm. clogging the system. I remember previously, a couple of years previously, I went to a doctor again with a cut and I was sent down to Cork mm. for stitches. Mm. So that type of thing mm. of defensive medicine where everybody is afraid of being sued, but also I would have to say as a teacher former teacher, uh, I noticed over the last decade, people are getting more and more unfit. So the potential for illness is going to grow okay. given the current lifestyle. And I, I was on here in uh, I was walking yesterday morning down um, near Super Valley here in Tlanmel, and I saw this nine-year-old on one of these e-scooters. Yeah. A nine-year-old. And I was, I was praying to God he wasn't going to run into something at the speed he was going. But apart from that, look at the the failure in exercise he's now getting and being taught. Yeah. So there, there is a need not just to focus on the hospitals but to focus on what I call preventative medicine as well in terms of our lifestyles. Yeah. We are taking time bombs. The cheapest drug anybody could take is physical exercise and yet uh, they'll pay fortunes going into a chemist. Yeah. And, and, and so preventative medicine is one step and then the levels of that the hospital should be the last place to call You should be going to primary care centres, whatever. I'd experienced a couple of years ago, my wife and myself in Spain, and she felt, um, because she she was feeling bronchial, she said, we better get this look because we were looked there for five or six days. And I said, oh God, we're going to lose a day. We went into this primary care centre. We went in at 10 to 11, met the reception. She said, you have an appointment at 5 to 11, go up to room 12. And sure enough, the door opened and took her diagnosis and she walked out with a prescription. We were out of there in 20 minutes. Wow. 20 minutes. Now, we weren't the only ones there. There was lots mm. of people coming in and out, but they had they had a primary care system upstairs where there was 15 doctors and you were told which number door you go to and they were able to look on their screen and see who's mm. the next available doctor. We do not have that facility here in this country. And I come back to the issue. I'm fed up of government making announcements uh, and and they should be banned from making announcements unless they put a timeline by which shovels will be on the ground there is we have got to build capacity into the system we've had so many plans so many reports and so many Government politicians now want to hide behind a consultant's report. We're going to do a consultant mm-hmm. report. We need politicians with, mm. uh, but also I mean, look, look to take at the decisions. catastrophe
15: that the National Children's yeah. Hospital has been. Oh, yeah. mm. I mean, oh. that's our attempt at solving the crisis. Yeah. And look what that is has managed. And again, coming back into. to your
13: point, Connor, they played political football. Twas the matter site one time. Twas the Talis site yep. another time. We'll was the Greenfield site. Yep. Twas all, everybody afraid. We need a politician of the caliber of Noel Brown who is not afraid to take a line. But Noel and Brown
1: say, was vilified at the time. He was. For the yeah, he was. He But
13: that's what I'm saying. Have we politicians with courage and vision who will take the heat and say, I am doing this for the long term good and for the health of the nation?
1: And do we think Stephen Donnelly is
13: the man for that? But, but bear in mind, Alison. Why are you laughing? At right her? now, right now, there are three or four ministers in this government sitting at the cabinet table who are former ministers well, for health, Leon yeah. Martin, Leo Varadka, and so on. So they know the health system. They've no excuse saying we don't really know the health system. And I come mm. back to what Rachel said: we need a type of COVID response now that says this is a national emergency, all hands on deck. Mm. And we're calling this, we're having meetings every evening, as we did with COVID, and you Mm. had a news broadcast saying this is what we need people to do, and this is what we are doing, and this is where we're putting capacity into the system. I've never
1: seen the outcry that we've had this week. Mm. Rachel, do you think that will be enough to get things moving?
14: I don't know, because the thing is that... we're very good psychologically, human beings, at responding to immediate crises. If there's a massive flood, or if there's a you know someone's house burns down, we're very good at that. But as Noel was saying, with preventative healthcare, with long-term strategies, with long-term crisis, climate change, the healthcare crisis, whatever, we're very bad at dealing with what are long-term urgent, long-term dramatic, difficult um crises mm. that develop slowly. We're very bad at that. So I, I'm not optimistic because I haven't seen this government either and I'm 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 not a member or a partisan of any particular um government, but I haven't seen either the two main leading parties really over the last decade offer any, probably longer, any substantial um, ability or interest in solving this problem. And it's not just the accident and emergency. And I think, you know, we definitely need urgent care centres where you can get the minor scrapes and yeah. and um, accidents and emergencies addressed in those smaller satellite centres so that you don't block up the major emergency rooms for people who are having massive heart attacks and strokes and mm. things like that. Um, People have, you know, long waiting times to see their GP. So, you know, if they can't see the GP up for, you know, until next week, they can go, they go to A&E. So that, that's another reason why. So we need GP investment. You know, there's the problem of the disconnect with all the different um, medical uh, establishments, not talking and liaising properly with each other because they're all disconnected. So if, you know, you have a lack of nursing home or respite care uh, beds and availability, so people are stuck in hospital longer there is this crazy idea that um things like scans and physios and so on are only offered 9 to 5 Monday to Friday yeah. mm-hmm. and so i yeah. mean that happened to me i needed a scan when i was in hospital um for you know i needed a gyny scan and over the weekend not available so i'm stuck in the the hospital bed over the weekend monday comes around all oh, the machines broken so we'll discharge you and oh. you know and it actually that turned out for me terrible because i ended up with sepsis and had to oh go up to goodness. dublin so You know, it's just, it's absolutely...
13: But to use Buggles the analogy the of, of your car engine, you know, the reason your car engine works is everything works in harmony. Yeah. And Rachel has highlighted yeah. the fact that uh, each each aspect of the system is almost working in its own harmony yeah. and not seeing itself as part of the larger machinery. Mm. Even digital records and so on now, you cannot assume when you go into a hospital that uh, the consultant looking at you has is aware of has your existed. previous record, yeah. as I mm-hmm. discovered when my mother was in there, uh, as I say, God help anybody going in on their own who doesn't have an advocate uh, along the way. But but, uh, interestingly, in, in University Hospital Limerick, 70 consultants and doctors signed a letter back last summer saying, we are in crisis here, we are in danger, this is a hazard right now and we're missing patients and so on in terms of treatment. That was So uh, this didn't spring on the government out of yeah, nowhere. Yeah. Pharmacists have been warning about this flu coming from the yes. Australian experience mm. and it's the lack of uh, we showed during COVID we could deal with it because, I mean, that was the big fear in the early days of COVID was the whole system going to be overwhelmed. Yeah. Mm. And we managed to deal with it. And the other aspect... Oh, I don't think we managed to deal with it properly, though. Mm. Our oh, solution no. was
15: we'll throw money at it. Yeah. And yeah. we'll yeah. buy up private hospital mm. beds yeah. and mm. pay through yeah. the nose. Mm. I don't think that's a long-term solution. No, it's not. But I, I do agree, accept yeah. that we did react at least. At least yeah. we reacted. Yeah. Right now, we're just static. You, you
13: felt at least the government was trying in to some, roll yeah. up their yeah. sleeves. But can and,
1: I ask, before we go to an ad break, Connor, you laughed when I said a Stephen Donnelly, the man for the job. Can I ask you why?
13: The man doesn't know his name.
15: How on earth do we expect Stephen Donnelly to to tackle this? But
1: is it too big of a job for one person?
15: It probably is, but it also is going to need somebody to come in at the start of the term to be able to see out the five years because God knows they'll spend four and a half years being beaten for it and finally they might get some sort of action from the senior civil servants in the last six months. But that Is that
1: the thing? You need someone just with the cojones who's going to come in and exactly. deal with the HSE mm-hmm. exactly. and say I'm not putting up with this yeah. anymore. Exactly.
15: Someone yeah. who doesn't have much to lose. So either at the end of their career
13: or <laughs> an independent who does need to toe the party line. And I yeah. think I think the other aspect in, in terms of any forward planning and vision for the future they need to listen to the nurses and doctors oh, on the definitely. ground. Not the these people. management consultants who haven't a clue of how the system runs and Rachel highlighted mm-hmm. the very fact x-ray machines and MRI scans only have within the working day. People don't get sick within the working day. Yeah. That's what's mm. clogging up the system. But that's
1: the issue I have with and Ennis as well. I know Ennis mm. has been reopened, but that's yeah. only Monday to Friday. No, exactly. Mm. And
13: the other aspect, I was talking to a woman yesterday evening uh, whose mother is up in hospital and um, she needs a nursing home. She's at that level yes. of care. And she said, I know 10 others in there who are in the same boat they're sitting in beds yes. in a hospital system because there is nowhere else to mm-hmm. discharge them to. Their families aren't capable because I mean, they they need serious Medicare, yeah. mm-hmm. they've had serious strokes and so on. And it, it's not joining the dots and seeing the holistic yeah. uh, system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
1: we'll leave it there. We'll leave that topic there. We'll take an outbreak. We're back with Speed Vans after this Welcome back to Tip Today. Anne-Marie says HICWA closed loads of nursing homes. Now hospital beds are taken up by elderly patients that live at home. Home packages would cost a lot less. Another listener says, as a nurse in the acute services, I wish people would stop talking about extra bed capacity unless we go properly about recruiting nurses and doctors. All over the holidays, we are in doing extra shifts and extra days um, and going in to cover for other staff. We're sick of it. It's time we give proper paying conditions and have 24-hour ultrasound exercise x-ray and phlebotomy. I think we all agree with that. Yes. Uh, moving on to our next topic then today. This was when Richard Malloy was on with us I think on Tuesday morning and he questioned the location of some speed vans in the Clonmel area. And he raised the issue at a meeting of the Borough Council claiming that their positioning would make one suspect that they're merely there as a money making exercise. A lot of our listeners divided about this during the week. Connor, will I start with you?
15: Please do. <laughs> what do you think?
1: Do you think they're a money-making exercise?
15: Absolutely. I um, mean you, you drive around Clomwell on any given day and I can tell you exactly the five locations are going to be. They're going to be parked in Dunstor, it's going to be parked in mm-hmm. the Bypass, parked out Bulmers, or parked on the on the Care Road. Yeah. And there are the five rotation cycles. It's they are not accident black spots. I'm never aware of any mm. accidents that ever happened yeah. at Dunstores or outside mm. Bulmers or on that part of the section of the care road. I mean, it's it's pure opportunistic and I do know that I, I was here for a lot of December and I saw pretty much every single day there was a speed van there. Hmm. And for the last four days, I haven't seen any speed vans around. Hmm. So I'm just wondering if it was, is it part of the, the, the December target and quota system that they're trying to get up to? Or is it part of just my scepticism? I don't know.
1: A lot of listeners who did text in though, they said, well, if you weren't speeding, you wouldn't be getting a ticket so you have nothing to worry about Absolutely. wherever they are.
15: Yep. Agreed, but this was the fact is that they did this principle of go safe vans were sold to us on the basis of safety to make accident black spots um, eliminate mm. them and everything mm. else and going to be targeted at the, at the risky areas. I mean, what we're seeing around Clamell is not the risky areas being targeted. And I know you had the driving instructor on during the week um, about it, and I couldn't have disagreed more with what he said. Um, so I I do think we've been sold a pup in that sense. But what I do like is that they're being used and the guided resources are not being used to first things like speed checks when the guided resources can be deployed on more relevant or more urgent tasks.
1: Yeah. Rachel, what do you think? Would you be well, cynical?
14: Well, yes. We have it way worse in Victoria, in Australia. So we have... They don't publish the lists of locations, so they can be anywhere, they can be unmarked. So we have red light cameras practically at every... Um, cameras. So if you sp- if you go through a red light camera, you get dinged. Um, we have so we have unmarked vehicles that are just sitting on the side of the road. And but are they obvious? No, okay. no. They can use a beat up old car that you wouldn't pay attention to, and then ding, you got a speed camera. And they are everywhere. So you have to be really now. It's absolutely a revenue raising system, but it is a tax that you can avoid by not speeding. But it's so. I mean, it's crazy. They will say we. Um, on roads where there have been injuries or fatalities. But where they put the camera on that road, I'm highly suspicious about. Because, you know, there's a section of the care road where, yes, there have been fatalities, but not that section where they actually have Mm. the speed camera. And I I will say there's a funny one in Clarehorn where it's just around the corner from... If you've been coming along um, the Cashel Road and you're driving or hooting along, I remember one time, because I actually am a bit OCD about... Oh, I shouldn't say that. It's very bad to say that. I, okay. I'm very, very careful about... I don't speed. I don't like speeding. I've never liked speeding. So I sit on the speed limit. And, of course, that gets everyone really cross. Yeah, me. I'm the one behind you then. I know. But you know what I do do? I pull over. If I feel that there's someone is sitting on my tail and is getting really frustrated, I find a safe place to pull over. I let them... Mm, r- off that And then I go on my way because I like to stay to the speed limit. But there was this one person who was really sitting on my bum and I thought, I happen to know, because I live in (laughs) Clareham, that there's a speed camera today (laughs) because I saw it on my way out and I thought... Mm. <laughs> very interesting and I happen to know that the speed drops to 50 right near the community park yeah and I happen to know that if I pull into the community park this guy is going to go Arr-rum! around the corner and I guarantee you that's exactly what he did I bet you he got a nice big whopping fine oh, so poetic justice pooey to him but anyway it is it's absolutely a revenue raising
1: system. It is. But Noel, isn't that the problem? When you privatise something, they're not in it for public service. They're in it to make money.
13: Yeah, and uh, we we should learn that from the train service in England, which they privatised and so on. Uh, Big business, their aim and goal is to uh, make money and maximise revenue. On the other hand, speed kills. I mean, the statistics and the facts are there. And I would agree with the previous speakers. They need to be there in black spots. Uh, Now, in some countries, and I think they're talking about doing it here in the motorway, where uh, they'll have cameras which will monitor your average speed yeah, like if, yeah. go, if, through, moment, if you go through yeah. Yeah, if you go through the tunnel in, in Dublin there uh, it monitors your speed going through so it, there's no point in going up above the speed mm. limit and slowing down as you come to the other end because they'll average out your speed and I think they're effective and it's about it's it's like the drink driving we had a problem with drink driving for years in this country and as soon as they started to have regular checks and it and started to make the news people did slow down I was driving it was a day earlier or late December, there it was National Slow Down Day, um, and I was happened to be in the car a lot during that day and listening to the radio. And I was, you know, when you looked at it, National Slow Down Day, they, I think they, their total speed um, people over speeding was two hundred out of the whole country. That's which, pretty good. Which that. is pretty good. I thought geez they'll catch people, shoot people like a burn. But you see, if you're a regular driver like myself, driving the same routes regularly, you'll know where you know. they sit. Yeah. Yeah. It's the poor devils. I know one woman last Christmas went to Kilkenny to do a bit of shopping and out beyond nine mile house there. She ended up when she came back with six pints she never saw the speed camera uh, on the way out. She wasn't, and you see what I resent as well is you're moving maybe from like Clairehan from a 60 to a 50 and there's a very short span or equally, if you're coming down the road here from Abbott and uh, oh, down, the, down hill, the hill, the steep crazy. hill, yeah. and you to have no foot on yeah. the accelerator, you will still it's exceed uh, the speed limit. So they seem to sit on sites that where it's inevitably you will be over the speed limit. I don't see
14: why they should be allowed to have that one there. Because mm. I got dinged, mm. well, and yeah. I, sorry, my husband got dinged. Um, and we I was sitting in the car, and we came down, and mm. the thing is, they're supposed. It's supposed to be they're not supposed to have a speed camera at the bottom of a hill where mm. if you uh in the lowest gear mm. and it and the car naturally takes you over mm. the speed limit. They're not supposed to do um, speed do cars yeah, at yeah. the bottom. So I don't see why they should be allowed to put mm. one
5: there.
13: But uh, as I say, I mean, the, the, the hard evidence is there, we say, especially in urban settings, if some the difference to a life if somebody is hit by a car travelling oh, at 20 okay. miles an hour versus 40 miles an hour, to use yeah. the old analogy, is huge. Mm. Uh, so, particularly so should around that schools. not be the
1: priority then, Connor? What do, should we all just stop complaining about it and respect the fact that that's the law and just respect
13: and it is a taxi kind of vibe.
15: Yeah, I think people are, I, I don't think people have the objection with these cameras themselves. I think people have objections or skeptics or cynicism about mm. where they're located. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think if someone told me I'm going to put a camera there and it's going to save your life, I'm fine, I'll, I'll abide by the law and mm. I'll follow the speeds. But if you're going to put it in place where someone could be like doing 52 and a 50 or 53, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that is not. Going to save mm. my life, yeah. Like it, it it's just. It, for and that's me the
1: problem with the vans because at least if you get caught by a guard, that you you might get a good guard who'll give you some discretion.
13: Well, yeah, if you're over two kilometres or three yeah. kilometres exactly. an hour, that's exactly. and that's fair enough. Okay, if you're doing 20 30 thirty kilometres over, it yeah. book you.
15: But I think also, I mean, look. It, life has evolved so much now and there's so much more cars on the road mm. cars are so much more safer now as well too I there's less and less excuses for being over the
13: limit mean, and the with cruise control you yeah. Now, you're and, now you can,
15: in zone and,
13: and you can have speed limiters on them you can, yeah. you can and the
14: apps like the like the apps the GPS apps well they'll put the speed limit up now yeah. On, yeah. on the actual app so you know oh, I'm supposed mm. to be going you know, 80 at this place or 60 because mm. if you drive to an unfamiliar area yeah, you're and, not familiar and you don't, you're not aware of what yeah. the speed and they can change very quickly mm. especially you know, like mm. if you drive from here to Limerick or River. On the
13: other hand, in in the village I live in, in Marlfield, we have a, a very windy country road from the village of Marfield over towards Patrick's Well, yeah. which is walked by a lot of pedestrians, mm. and the speed limit there is eighty kilometres an hour. That's, a, that's crazy. Yeah, which by the is ducks. Out, you know at uh, the the road overhead the lake. Oh, uh, yeah, is eighty kilometres an hour. You know, and we have been on to to Prairie County Council for years. To put a footpath there because it uh, is a recreational space mm, uh, which a lot of walkers popular, come yeah. hugely popular, and uh, there is no giant up thinking and it's American. nobody has been killed mm, on that road yeah. mm.
1: a listener says saw a big truck pulling in behind the speed van on the castle road one day as I was going to the garage to get petrol on the way back the man in the speed van had to set up the camera beside <laughs> the van because the lorry had blocked the camera in the van <laughs> so there you go uh, our next topic then to discuss today it should insurance be compulsory for dog owners now this is in light of another sheep kill another one in Tipperary this time in Lora, following the one in Moneygall late last year Uh, 70 sheep lost in this latest attack in Lura. So what it's done, I think, this week is the conversation has started about whether um, dog owners should um, have to have insurance, should there be compulsory insurance for dog owners. Rachel, what do you think of this idea? Um, I've
14: watched enough Judge Judy where they talk about the the insurance, particularly on tax on humans too. Um, The difficulty, I think, is that um, well, in one sense, yes, because it might actually make high risk dogs become a lot more expensive to own and discourage owners from some of those really high-risk dogs you know mm. and I'm thinking more in terms of humans with pit bulls for example um, and I'd like to see a real reduction in the number of people who own dangerous dogs um, on the other hand though too um, I can see that insurance companies if they they have a market where it's very hard to get insurance because you're you know you've got a dog people aren't going to have insurance they're just going to risk it yeah but
1: is it a case of there's no such thing as a dangerous dog but a dangerous dog owner
15: connor i mean this is always trotted out but you always see that when you see the statistics of the of the accidents and the incidents i mean invariably there's a, there's a list of 14 dogs in ireland currently that require muzzles mm. uh, and, and leash at all times in public area they're there for a reason mm. it, it's not because uh, i mean the damage that a big dog does is much more mm. more uh, impactful than a small jack russell or a chihuahua is going to nip your nip your ankle mm. um, I think the challenge we're going to have here is we're, this is just a symptom. I mean, the the reality is that we people are not responsible for their dogs. They don't ship their dogs. They don't know where their dogs are. So as long as we have irresponsible dog owners, making the, the, the responsible people have insurance and everything else and their dog license and everything else in place, it's just another punishment. And until we actually enforce the laws that already exist, we would have ample um, protection for... Sheep farmers, for people, for vulnerable children, whatever. I mean, it just needs to be enforced. And I mean, there's one dog pound in in Tipperary now, yeah. and it has to come from North Tip to cover South Tip. Yeah. I mean, crazy. Where, <laughs> where is the enforcement? So I mean, it's it's just like who polices the police at this stage. So I don't think insurance is going to be the solution. Mandatory ins- insurance is the solution, but I suppose it's a nice to have if there's going to be this the acceptance that we're going to have irresponsible dog owners.
1: Yeah, and no, Connor makes a good point there. The the responsible people will have insurance. Irresponsible people aren't going Mm. to have it anyway. So what's the point?
13: Yeah, I was out uh, walking on the mountains uh, up near the devil's bit there uh, during the, after Christmas and the guy who was leading the walk was a local and he said, we're not going that route because there's Mm. a guy camping up there that has some really angry dogs. I don't want to, I don't want to risk given the group. So, you know, like, as you say, I'm a dog owner myself. The people who are responsible dog owners will take care of their dogs, will make sure they're, they're um, on, leash on, on leash a leash here. or whatever. But uh, I will have to say, and I come from a farming background myself, no matter how good you think your dog is and how well behaved when they see sheep, yeah, uh, and if they're not with you, they get a mind of their own. Instinct kicks in. And people need to be aware of that. I mean, your dog should not be able to roam freely away from your house. And I mean, I, I always, uh, have always had sheep dogs, uh, mm-hmm. and they they've stayed within the boundary. I'm fortunate. I'm near cornfields and so on. But the last two I got, they had that tendency to roam out. Whatever yeah. it was, just in their DNA. So I had to put electric collars on them. Now, I, people might say, "Oh, that's cruel." But it works, and so much so now that I don't always have to have the electric collar on them because the instinct has taught them we don't go outside the bounds. Mm. So I think it's about people taking responsibility. And, and, you know, a dog needs exercise as well. Uh, It's cruel there, and around Christmas time often people get presents of pets. And you have to realise if a dog isn't exercised... Energy builds up. They get bored, and they oh, get yeah. bored the same as any human being. Mm. And uh, they'll they'll take out that frustration. And when they do get free, mm. they're gone hell for schkelter. So, and, and I had experience last year where a dog wandered into me, and I brought him down to the vets. We scanned him to see was he chipped. He was chipped all right, but there was no name with the chip. Oh really? Yeah, no name with the chip. So it's coming back to Connor's point. It's all about enforcement. Have you yeah. got a dog license? Have you your dog chipped? And the dangerous dogs, as I said, uh, why people would want to own a dangerous dog? Mm-hmm. Uh, I so many it's a kids' thing, lives. Isn't uh, it? Status my eye. Uh, what there is no affection in a dangerous dog, you know, yeah. <laughs> and the threat they are to children and everybody else. We have too many horror stories of children being mauled by dogs that were unsafe, mm-hmm. and even adults as well.
1: Well, should we maybe even look at limiting the number of dogs a person can have? Because I'm looking at a text here, and a listener says, "I live in Clonmel. Uh, next to me in town, seven dogs. I can't oh sleep God. at night listening yeah. to them barking. What? What about that for an idea, Connor? Limiting Absolutely. the
15: number of dogs. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's an appropriate setting for a dog. I mean, any of those dangerous dogs mm. should do not belong in a town. No, then don't they don't belong in a terraced house or a semi-detached mm. house. They need serious gardens, serious US sexual space, fences, yeah. and everything else to it's quality of
14: life for the dogs exactly. yeah, too. Mm. Exactly.
15: So
13: I mean, it's common sense. You, you but that sounds like me—that somebody is breeding dogs. Yeah. You know, mm. nobody. I mean, I I have two myself. Two is plenty. Now the reason I have two is dogs are social animals, and I always feel mm. they're company yeah. for each other. But mm. but I couldn't imagine myself having more than two. Yeah. And now and again, my daughter starts down. If to look after yeah. Properly, yeah. And all
1: that poo—that's all I can yeah, think of. Yeah. But all. no, <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's feeding them. That's the
13: other thing that's the other thing sadly in this country and it particularly became prevalent during Covid where people suddenly got this desire to get pets these breeding factories as I Mm -hmm. call them and we've seen horror stories in the news and particularly if you're living in an urban setting and you have a dog barking all the time uh, that's that's not acceptable. And a dog will bark, let's be fair about it. But if you've seven dogs, us bound to be one of them barking all yeah. the Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, we'll take a break. When we come back, then we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions. Do people really stick to them? And also Women's Little Christmas.
4: Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today.
1: Welcome back to Tip Today and the last part of our Friday panel. Our next topic is the topic of New Year's resolutions. Uh, A lot of listeners divided on this as well this week. A lot of people do make resolutions, probably out of just tradition more so than anything else. But are they a good idea and do people really stick to them? So anyone in our panel have resolutions this year, no? No. No. None. Do we not agree with them at
13: yeah, all? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Oh, you have one, no? Yeah. Well, I would, I would. I would say I would agree with Socrates, the famous philosopher, who said uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. I, I think Beautiful. it's not just. I think it's not just about the month of January in terms of New Year's resolutions. I think one should constantly examine one's life, and it's like the captain in a ship. He has plotted out the course before he leaves the harbour but he's constantly checking in to see is he still on course because mm-hmm. we can get blown and shaken by the storms of life and drift and maybe years later uh, I think a book for listeners who who might be saying ah, no point in resolutions, a, a book written by an Australian girl actually Bronnie Rare, Rare I think is her name, the top five regrets of the dying and mm-hmm. she spent a lot of time nursing patients who knew they were in terminal illness at a limited time and they were looking back, as inevitably does in one's life, but she said it was interesting their top five regrets. What well, were no, they? Well, there were things like, I wish I'd spend more time with my family. Mm. I wish I had not given so much time to work. I wish I had really said what I think mm-hmm. and what I feel, rather than letting others uh, control my life. I wish I had given something to the community and to people, and I wish I had been kinder, stuff like that. So... There are things to think about, and I'm reading uh, Michelle Obama's book at the moment, and I'd highly recommend her latest book. Um, It's an interesting, she's reflecting on what she has learned from life experience and what she has learned from those around her. Um, And I think books that way, that will be one of my resolutions to spend more time reading books, because I think we live now in an age where people are constantly clicking in their phone. Yeah. and you know the phone screens and we've got just so used to flicking on we don't really, it's almost like if you could imagine a fast eater not con- they're consuming the food but they're not digesting it, we're not digesting what we experience in life and sometimes I mean I often find in a mountain walker hill walker myself, I love to sit down for 10 or 15 minutes above and just sit yeah. and be and be And I was out last night uh, let the dogs out for a minute and I was just looking up at the sky. It was a beautiful starry night and I remembered my childhood where I used to love to sit and look at the stars and I did that. Yeah. And there's something opening about that. So one of my New Year's resolutions, I, I as you will know from my previous contributions, I'm very concerned about climate change and definitely looking at my lifestyle and seeing what I can do. And Michelle Obama's thing is, is as well that sometimes we can be paralysed by the big things in life. And, uh, you know, they're so big, we say, what's the point? But she said, like, if you start doing the small things, it can empower you to tackle the big. So No wonder you're thing.
1: a teacher. <laughs> I'm feeling very inspired
13: now, Noel. <laughs> but I'm also, also, I'm reading a book called The History of the Stoics, the Stoic philosophers. Mm. And um, they, were, they were very interesting because they were saying, you know, we do a lot of thinking, but where people fall down is doing. Yeah. doing. So uh, one of my resolutions is um, for instance, people will have written Christmas cards and said oh, we must meet. Yeah. Uh, we haven't met up, we must meet in the new year and I guarantee you come next Christmas you'll be writing the same thing in the yeah. Christmas card. So last Christmas I made a resolution that I identified 10 or 15 people that I hadn't met in a while. So I said right, targeted two or three each month and I'd ring them and say listen, we haven't met in a while, remember that Christmas card I sent you, can we fix a date?
1: That's lovely that's and lovely you know we, we
13: all we all have the best intentions the road yeah. to hell is paved with good intentions mm. make it happen make a list even if you do a thing like uh, at the beginning I, I usually do it at nighttime tomorrow what am I doing I never go to bed without knowing what I'm, what's
1: on tomorrow What's
13: on tomorrow now that's not to say I'm not open if you come along and say Will we have a cup of coffee yeah I have that flexibility as well.
1: Well, there you are now, Connor. There's some inspiration for you.
13: Gobsmacked. <laughs> <laughs> I think some people
15: are more are more disciplined, like like Noel, or probably more structured, like like Noel, to to follow resolutions like that. Um, I think a lot of people also, given where we are right now economically and everything else, I think people are more focused on just surviving mm. in some situations. But I think, uh, as, was, as as Noel has said, I mean, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna outdo Noel's uh, f- philosophical stance here. <laughs> that but I mean, beautiful the, Noel. The, 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 the reality is, I suppose, some people would always like to take something small in their life, no matter how sim- simple or basic it is. To say, yes, I can feel good about this because I I helped this person, or I did mm. this, or I, yeah. I I achieved this life goal, or I'm now reaching a big of this year, or whatever. And I've done this and this in my life, and I think it's important too to just. Just sit and take stock yeah. and say, yeah. take time. I'm actually, I'm not so bad. I yeah. I have my health. Mm. I have we have our house. We have our kids. We mm. have whatever. Whatever mm. our our priorities, not what everybody else's priorities are. But for us, we wanted to do this or we wanted to go to this location. Whatever. I mean, I think it's important that people give themselves a pat on the back too and say, look, you have this and enjoy it. And yeah. That's was it. We're 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 fed this constant thing of you you need more. Mm. What's your next thing? What's your next on your Bucket list. Mm. Yeah. And then you fall into the trap of I'm looking for the next tick the box, mm. tick the box. The big thing. Without actually enjoying, as Noel said, enjoying the box you've just ticked. Mm. Yeah. Sit mm. on top of the mountain. Sit on the stone. Yeah. Enjoy the stars and in that moment mm. and, and, and cherish it. So I think we should be a little, a little less hard on ourselves. Mm in those situations.
1: And the problem, Rachel, with resolutions, that they, they tend to be kind of all the same ones. I'll try and make more money. I'll try and lose weight. I'll try and do this. That they, they tend to be all the same. And then when you don't meet those standards you set for yourself, you feel bad and you feel guilty and you feel like you've done something wrong.
14: Well, your man, Scott Adams, who writes the Dilbert cartoon, he wrote a book. It's very good. Um, I think it's how to fail at everything and become successful. And he argues you shouldn't have goals, you should have systems. So oh. you've got your New resolution isn't I should lose 10 kilos. It should be every day I'm going to choose to eat my five fruit and veg and I'm going to go for a 15 minute walk um, and every day I'm going to meditate or sleep get my sleep or whatever you ha- and you have systems so that you do this and then at the end of your systems that's where you actually t- you have a goal but oh, it's yeah. it's your systems that you put in place and you're much more likely to be able to achieve you know every day I'm going to eat an apple for lunch mm. rather than I'm going to lose 10 kilos you know yeah. which is why we fail at our news resolutions because we don't actually have you know good systems in place,
13: yeah, no, yeah, you know, um, it's the small steps, and if you have a system, I would totally agree with that. But you know, I think the greatest gift we could all give ourselves is to be kind to ourselves, mm,
14: definitely
13: to get up on the morning and say, You know, I'm okay, have my health. Uh, I'm going to be nice to myself. You see, you have to be aware we live in a very commercial consumerist world. If you, even if you look at the operation transformation that kicked in there the other night, I think a week earlier than it did in previous years. Um, it's all about setting goals and targets and, and uh, Connor mentioned bucket lists and so on. That's not what life is about. I remember when I was coming up to retirement, people used to say to me, well, what's your plan? What are you going to do? But I said, I'm fulfilling my plan. I always said when I started teaching, I'd retire at 60. Yeah. And I said, I'll tell you what, um, I am leaving it totally open to the spirit. Lovely. Mm. Where it takes me. And I've seen colleagues of mine who have retired and they've started this or done this, that, and, and they're tied. The gift of... Retirement, as I see it, is the freedom yeah. and the choice mm-hmm. and time. And I think the greatest gift we could all give ourselves, whether you're working or retired, is time for yourself. Whether it be, I used to get up early in the morning when I was working to get that time for myself and go out for a walk. Just mm. time for yourself. Because I think if we can be kind to ourselves, we can be kind to others. And I think the greatest gift in all our rushing we could give each other is um uh, to smile at people and yeah. to greet people mm, yeah. you know, I see so many people down the street I often feel, even when people are often walking, and you know maybe you're the only two walkers passing each other out it costs nothing to say hello you it's don't true. have to engage in conversation if you I don't have to want say it. though, in comparison
14: yeah. to Australia the yeah. Irish are much better at that Well, they are, really? but there is, a yeah. oh, trend. Yeah.
13: there is a growing trend and I beg people to take the earphones out of your ears yeah. when you're walking, <laughs> yeah. and just look around you at nature, hear the bird song. And have a meet the eyes of the person you're walking towards and say hello.
14: My husband used I when he first came over to Australia he used to wave at people in the car. Yeah. He'd sort of go like this. <laughs> what are you doing? That's a complete stranger. Are you mad? But he's so used to doing that. You know, tip to hand. And there's a little the call to it. If it's yeah. a full hand, yeah. you yeah. know them yeah, yeah. the well. You know them well. If it's, it's a finger, you don't know who that. they are. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, I should say too, it's actually a Muslim um, belief that to smile is a form of charity. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so mm. we're encouraged to smile. I used to, to
13: always end every mm. class with saying to the girls, don't forget to smile. Somebody needs your smile out there. And it all arose from an uncle, a priest in Ballyfer Parish and he'd gone in before Christmas to a class, there were only eight, nine year olds they had just put the crib together and he said, you know, oh, talking about the story of Christmas, he said, what gift do you think Jesus would like? And he went around the little group and one girl said I think he'd like us to smile more Aww. and uh, nice. he said why? Well he said, I was with my mammy in town uh, on Saturday and everybody was cross and giving out, they couldn't get in the bus, this, that and the other, so he asked them all to try and smile more during Christmas, he said I'll be back after Christmas, so he came back in anyway and he said it was extraordinary to hear the stories of the Aww. little girls or uh, boys saying, "I smiled at the bus conductor and <laughs> this and the other," and you know, this is the power of of the power of what I call an individual action. That girl, that was forty years ago, she said that, hmm. and I picked it up from my uncle, and yeah. I have tried to spread the message to every class. Yeah. So we never know the power yeah. of a positive action. Yeah, and if people could adopt one New Year's resolution to say, "I'll be kind to myself and I'll be kind to people that I encounter in my daily path."
1: Okay, well, Thank we'll you. have to leave it there mm. on that lovely note. Thanks for that, Noel, and our panel this week of uh, Rachel Connor and Noel. Um, just before we head away, Rachel, I know it's your last uh, panel mm. for a little while, so we just want—will you come in? We just wanted to give you a little token. <sighs> Here's yeah. some flowers Emma has oh, for that's you. that's so lovely. I'm going to miss
14: the panel so much. And oh, some well chalk. Yeah, I've got some chalkies yeah, yeah,
15: yeah. and some flowers. You can't oh. bring them with you, so you must no. share. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that thing I was saying <laughs> about yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But yeah. we just wanted to thank you because you're yeah. one of the most popular oh. members of our Absolutely panel. Fabulous, with us yeah. and with oh, the listeners. Oh, and we you. value your oh, time. I'll be
14: listening from Australia through the Tip FM website. Don't you worry. We'll look forward to having you back. Australian
13: correspondent. Absolutely.
14: If anything happens in Australia, you
1: better be there. So we'll look forward to That's it it for today. Thanks to Emma on production and all our listeners today. Uh, Stephen's up next with the Lunchtime Show. Fran is back with you on Monday morning. Have a great weekend, whatever you're up to.
4: Tip today with Fran Curry
0: With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie